Welcome to the Show Up Fitness Podcast, where great personal trainers are made. We are changing the fitness industry one qualified trainer at a time with our in-person and online personal training certification. If you want to become an elite personal trainer, head on over to showupfitness.com. Also, make sure to check out my book, How to Become a Successful Personal Trainer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Have a great day and keep showing up. We have so many success stories of the top trainers at Lifetime, Equinox, Bay Club. Our partnerships are being recognized as elite because the trainers stick around for a year. And more importantly, they're helping people safely. They're building books of businesses. They're closing at an astounding 75%. This is what the industry has been waiting for. And this is long overdue. So giving away our study guide is the little small gift that we're giving back to trainers. So spread the word. If you know anyone who cannot get a refund for NASM, send them over to our podcast. Get this, listen to it. Give us five stars, but if you really want to pass this ASAP, we have the unique bundle super swapper thingy of bobber, whatever you want to call it, to pass it in seven days. Head on over to Show Up Fitness for a hundred bucks. Pass it seven days, then you'll have three weeks of full access to really becoming a qualified certified trainer. Enjoy this audiobook version. Have a great day, y'all, and keep showing up. Howdy, y'all. It's your favorite trainer with a belt buckle here to help you pass the NASA 7th edition CPT. Oh, you came across us a little too late, didn't you? And you can't get a refund for the NASA CPT. If you can, within 28 days, get a refund. A textbook is not going to make you a qualified trainer. I've done one of the largest surveys in the fitness industry to date on record in my book, how to become a successful personal trainer. I interviewed managers at top corporate gyms who collectively have overseen over 15,000 trainers. And the consensus, 90% of textbook trainers quit within one year. Think about it for a second. You're trying to digest 800 pages, which a lot is outdated science, 2023, And you are then expected to go out there and train people never being observed. People don't give you feedback on your programming. They don't help you with the cueing, your trainer engagement, how you interact, the assessment. That's what we teach at Show Up Fitness CPT. We are the best certification in fitness hands down because you get to interact with professionals. You get to ask questions about your programming. We focus on anatomy. And you will be closing at a 50 plus percent rate during the assessment. The average trainer who quits, less than 30. Our program is online, but we're also in person at our gyms in Los Angeles and San Diego. Chris Hitchko, that's who I am. You're hearing my voice right now. I'm the belt buckle trainer, born and raised in Northern California. I'm a Chico boy. Got my degree in kinesiology. Taught at a school called NPTI for over seven years. Teaching a lot of this nonsense. The fourth edition, the fifth edition, the sixth edition, and now the seventh. I've helped more people pass NASM than I know of online. You may watch a video of person A or B on YouTube thinking they know how to help you pass this. I know how to help you pass this. I've been teaching this stuff pretty much forever. 
My goal is not to make you a NASM trainer. It's to help you pass this as quickly as possible so you can get into an internship or our online CPT program where you can learn how to become a successful personal trainer. Before we get into the entirety of this guide, 40 pages, this audio version will get you to pass NASM in 30 days. I'm that confident. I'm that great of a trainer. Yes. And I want you to go out there and start helping people properly, not scaring them into movement. But before we do that, I need to educate you on who the National Academy of Spectacular Marketing is. Oh, you thought they were a fitness company. NASM is owned by Ascend Learning. If you don't know who Ascend Learning is, you can type this into the Google machine. One of the largest online educating companies when it comes to online material. Ascend Learning is owned by Blackstone Investment Group, one of the largest private equity firms in the world. They have a lot of money and you probably came across NASM online. Maybe you bought their bundle. Whew, that one hurt. That's like taking a big foam roller where the sun don't shine and you are screwed because you can't get a refund. That's all right. Let Show Up Fitness, an actual fitness company, help you become successful. So when you do pass this test, go and read my book, How to Become a Successful Personal Trainer. You will learn about the ins and outs of the fitness industry, but most importantly, not to make mistakes that others have done before you. I'm going to change the landscape of fitness, and that includes learning hands-on and being able to ask questions. If you were to go back into the early 1900s, and ask people who owned a bunch of horses and carriages, what do you think about these cars? Everyone would point and laugh and say, those are the stupidest things in the world, and that's what people do at Show Up Fitness. What do you mean? I've never heard of them. Oh, the belt buckle trainer, they don't know what they're doing, as we have the top trainers at Equinox and Lifetime. Santa Monica, West Hollywood, Austin, Houston, Miami, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, International, Canada, Istanbul, Paris. The list goes on and on. We have physical gyms, Santa Monica, West Hollywood, San Diego. We have weekend seminars where you get to learn hands-on. That's what we're doing. We are changing the landscape of fitness by helping trainers become confident so you can help your clients safely and you can build a sustainable career. This is an amazing industry to be in. It is not saturated. You hear a lot of stories like that. And I say in my book, the personal training industry is saturated just like fast food restaurants are saturated. But you're not going to be a fast food restaurant. You're a qualified trainer, which is a high-end restaurant. So there really is not much competition. If you look the part, you talk the part, and you're confident you can easily turn your passion for fitness into career. But that's enough of me yabbering on. I got my caffeine in me. No whiskey today, promise. But when you do pass, if you want to send me a bottle, shoot it to our Santa Monica location. If you want to hop on a call with one of our instructors, we can teach you anatomy, programming, exercise variation, and how to build a business at a corporate gym as we have Equinox instructors on our team. So let us know how we can help you once you pass this. So you have purchased the NASM CPT. 
You do not need to get the seventh edition textbook. That's what the study guide is for. We have the physical guide and now we have the audio version. In addition to this audio book and the physical study guide, we have a map to pass it in 30 days with pre-recorded videos. We have an app. Once you pass your NASM, you can move into the Show Up Fitness CPT, which takes most trainers two months to pass, and then you will be tested in front of a panel of coaches during a 10-minute Zoom call reviewing your shoulder anatomy, hip anatomy, movement patterns, and designing a program within 10 minutes. This will get you hired at any gym and give you the confidence to be a successful trainer. Show Up Fitness is not affiliated with NASM. We have no connections. We are not stealing any information from people in the exams. This is from my tenure teaching this material at the National Personal Training Institute. And in my opinion only, as I said earlier, I have no affiliation with NASM. I think they are a great marketing company and you can learn a lot from their business practices. If you do have the physical textbook, only read the chapter 7, 11, 12, 13, and 21. That is it. We do not encourage anyone to read the textbook. We do not encourage anyone to get other guides. We don't encourage you to use the NASM quizzes as well. And this isn't being selfish. This is the more information that goes into your head, you will freak out during the exam. I'm sure you have some sort of test anxiety already. And the more information you have, the worse your score will be. Listen to this audio over and over and over again. The NASM CPT exam is proctored at a facility. You will need to go to their website to book that testing date. You need to have your CPR and AED completed. The exam is 120 questions. You'll be given 120 minutes. The questions are multiple choice. According to NASM, there are six domains that you will be tested on. Domain 1, 17%, basic and applied sciences and nutritional concepts. Domain 2, the assessment. 3, program design. 4, exercise technique and training instruction. 5, client relations and behavioral coaching. And then the last domain, 6, professional development and responsibility. We focus on the bulk of the test which are domains two, three, and four, consisting of over 60% of the exam. The following are key vocab terms to memorize. The top 10, relative flexibility. It's the body's tendency to take the path of least resistance. Autogenic inhibition. States that a prolonged Golgi tendon stimulation inhibits muscle spindles of the same muscle. Reciprocal inhibition. When an agonist receives a signal to contract, an inhibitory signal is sent to its antagonist muscle, which lengthens. Synergistic dominance. When a synergist muscle takes over for an agonist muscle that exhibits a decrease in neural drive. So how you break these down, relative flexibility is the path of least resistance. If you're sitting at a desk all day, you have slouched shoulders, the body is spending less energy. By doing this regularly, you're going to be more prone to injury, according to NASM. Autogenic inhibition would be foam rolling on a specific location, holding it, and then that muscle will relax. Synergistic dominance is caused from sitting too long. Your glutes don't work very well, so your hamstrings take over. 
Pre-contemplation, not thinking about working out, that's stage one of change. Gluconeogenesis, glucose referring to glucose. Neo means new. Genesis is the generation. So we are generating new glucose from non-carbohydrate substrates, like protein. Extrinsic motivation, this is reward or recognition. For example, winning first place in a race, a cash prize, or a trophy. Agonist is the prime mover for a lift when I do a military press. The deltoids are the agonist. The synergist would be the triceps. The antagonist is the opposite, and that would be your latissimus dorsi or your back. When you do a bench press, the agonist is your chest. Your synergist is your triceps. The antagonist is the opposite of the movement, which is your posterior deltoid. Squats. At the knee, it's the quads. At the hip, it's the glutes. The synergist, according to NASM, is your hamstrings. The antagonist is your psoas major. The SA node, or the sinoatrial node, is the pacemaker of the heart. The pulmonary artery carries CO2 away from the heart. Atriums hold blood. They are the superior chambers. The inferior chambers are called the ventricles, and they're the pumping chambers. 140 over 90 is hypertension. That top number is systolic. The bottom one is diastolic. When you think of blood pressure, just think of how hard something contracts. That's systolic. The bottom number is how hard it relaxes. We need pressure to get oxygen to our brain. A favorite NASM term is peripheral heart action. And that's just doing an upper body exercise into a lower or vice versa. A squat into a push-up or bench press into a lunge. You need to know everything about the OPT model, and we will go over all of those acute variables within rest, reps, intensity, and tempo. Altered reciprocal inhibition, overactive agonist muscle decreases the neural drive to a functional antagonist muscle. Simply put, I'm seated right now. My agonist is my psoas major, My opposite muscle or the antagonist would be my gluteus maximus. So because of my psoas being overactive, my glutes aren't working, which decrease that neural drive. So when I stand up, my hamstrings take over, and that is synergistic dominance. Sliding filament theory, muscle contraction involving actin and myosin. Those are the smallest myofilaments. Sliding past one another, shortening muscle during concentric muscle actions. Think of concentric as when you want to breathe out during a lift. So I'm doing a push-up, I want to breathe out when I'm pushing away. When I'm doing a pull-up, I want to breathe out when I'm pulling up. When I'm doing a squat, I want to breathe out when I'm coming up from the squat. Intrinsic motivation. You feel a sense of satisfaction, belonging, for example, Grandma is happy because she can play with her grandkids due to exercising regularly. Yippee! All or none principle. Motor units can't vary the amount of force they generate. They can either contract maximally or not at all. Think about doing a maximal push-up competition. When you are in that last push-up, you will either complete it or you will fall to your face. All or none principle. Length tension relationship. Resting length of a muscle and the tension it can produce at this length, also referred to as a relationship between actin and myosin. Just remember, myosin is the larger myofilament. 
principle of specificity states that the body will adapt to a specific demand that is placed on it. Neuromuscular specificity refers to the speed of a contraction and the exercise selection. Mechanical specificity, that makes reference to the weight being moved on the body. Type 1 versus type 2 muscle fibers. Think of a sprinter as more type 2, a marathon runner as more type 1. Type 1 is aerobic, primary utilizes fat. Type 2 is anaerobic, they're larger, primarily utilizing carbohydrates. Type 1 is beta oxidation when it comes to bioenergetics. Type 2 is going to be ATP, PC, or phosphocreatine. Within bioenergetics, we have phosphagen, which is high intense and explosive. We need longer recovery. Creatine phosphate can bond with adenosine diphosphate to create more ATP. ATP is the cell currency, and this allows for us to do work. Hence why creatine supplementation is so amazing. It allows for us to do more. Glycolysis is the middle part of bioenergetics. Think of this as moderate intensity and moderate length, whereas oxidation or the Krebs cycle, whatever they want to call it, low intense, short rest periods. Stages of change. Pre-contemplation, you're not thinking about working out at all. Contemplation, you're thinking about working out within the next six months. Preparation, exercising but not doing it regularly. Action, you're exercising but you have not been doing it for six months. And then maintenance as you've been exercising for six months. And last but not least, termination, you will never go back to your old habits. Planes of motion, we have three of them, sagittal, frontal, and transverse. Sagittal divides the body into left and right halves, allowing for the actions of flexion and extension. I would flashcard these. Common exercises in the sagittal plane, squats, RDLs, which are Romanian deadlifts, biceps curls, triceps extensions, lunges, chin-ups. Frontal divides the body into anterior and posterior halves. Anterior just means front, posterior means back. The actions are abduction and adduction. We really focus on the AB or AD because of the pronunciation. If you say them fast, they're hard to understand. Abduction, abduction. What the hell did you just say? Common frontal exercises. Lateral raises for the medial deltoid. Jumping jacks, band walks, pull-ups with a pronated grip. Those would all be frontal. Transverse divides the body into superior, which is above, and inferior, which is below halves. And the actions would be rotation, such as a chest fly, reverse fly, curtsy lunge, or any type of ball rotation or cable rotation. Looking at some common health measurements, your BMI, body mass index, which is a calculation of your height in meters squared over your weight in kilograms. Normal is 18.5 to 24.9. Overweight is 25 to 29.9. And obese is 30 plus. The one thing that BMI does not take into consideration is your lean body mass. Blood pressure. High blood pressure is 140 over 90. And that's called hypertension. Normal is 120 over 80. The top number is systolic. The bottom number is diastolic. The heart has the top chambers, which are called atriums, the bottom, which are ventricles, arteries or blood vessels that go away from the heart, veins or blood vessels that go toward the heart. The sinoatrial node is the pacemaker, 
The left ventricle delivers oxygen to the body. The right atrium delivers deoxygenated blood from the body to the lungs. The capillaries are the smallest blood vessels and the side exchange for elements between blood and tissue. Stroke volume is the amount of blood pumped out of the heart with each contraction. Lean body mass is scale weight minus your fat mass. The Tanaka formula is 208 minus 0.7 times your age. Heart rate reserve is heart rate max minus your heart rate resting. Multiply that by your target intensity and add in your heart rate that's resting. You will not need to do any calculations. You just need to know the formulas. Again, for your heart rate reserve, which is referred to as the carbonate method, you're going to take your heart rate max, subtract it by your heart rate that's resting, times it by your target intensity, and then add back in your resting heart rate. Just know that if you see 208, that's going to be the Tanaka. If you see 220 minus heart rate, that's going to be your heart rate reserve. Performance tests, you know, bench press will be for strength, push-ups for endurance, shark skill, lower body agility, 40-yard dash will be for speed, the left test is for agility, the pro shuttle 5105 is agility. NASA would ask you a question such as, your client is performing a lower body agility test. What would be the name of that test? A bench press, a push-up, a shark skill, or a 40-yard dash. So you need to know that the shark skill would be that lower body agility. The three cardio tests that NASM would test you on. YMCA, where you step onto a 12-inch box for one minute, aiming for 96 steps per aiming for 96 steps for a total of three minutes. The rock port is the talk test. You rock a mile as fast as you can. Think of Rockport being a shoe brand. You're gonna walk to the Rockport. It sounds like a city in Connecticut. 1.5 mile is a mild aerobic test. The cardio zones, we have zone one, which is poor, and that's 65 to 75 of your heart rate. Zone two is good or fair, that would be 76 to 85. And zone three is very good, and that would be 86 to 95% of your heart rate. They will ask you questions in relation to the OPT model. So stabilization would be zone one, 65 to 75%. Strength would be zone two, which would be 76 to 85, and zone three would be power. Your client performs good or fair on the Rockport test. Which part of the OPT model would you put them in? And that would be any of the phases within the strength portion, which would be phase two, three, or four. Balance exercises for stabilization. There's no movement in the balancing leg. I'd be like standing on one leg. Single leg balance to reach. Just a single leg balance. You would put that into the stabilization. Balance strength, full range of motion and balancing leg. So for example, a single leg squat or a single leg RDL. Your leg that is balancing is moving concentrically and eccentrically. It's going up or down. For power, it's dynamic movement, controlled, like a multiplanar hop to stabilization or a single leg box hop. So think of stabilization, there's no movement. For strength, there's movement. For power, there's a change of the basis support. You are hopping or something along those lines. A core exercise, core stabilization, there's no spinal movement. 
Think of a plank or a nasum for whatever frick's reason they call it a prone isoab. Floor bridges, floor prone cobra. The spine is not moving. When the spine does move, that's core strength, such as a reverse crunch or a medicine ball crunch. Core power would be fast and explosive, an oblique throw, soccer throw, a wood chop. Your client is performing a prone isoab. Which phase of the OPT model is this in? Phase 1, phase 2, phase 3, or phase 4? The answer would be phase 1. You may hear some terminology like local musculature, which is stabilizing the spine. They're near the vertebrae. And those are all type 1 underactive muscles, such as the multifidus, transverse abdominis, quadratus lumborum, and the pelvic floor muscles. Global muscles are more superficial. They're going to move the trunk and generate concentric force. Those would be like your obliques, the erector spinae, latissimus dorsi, psoas major and rectus abdominis. Some plyometric exercises for stabilization, little joint movement, and don't you dare jump like Tinkerbell. If you throw your arms behind yourself while you are in the air, you are not a trainer. You are an influencer. Find me a basketball or volleyball player who jumps with their arms behind their back. Don't disrespect the art of jumping. You load your hands behind the body, and as you come up and spring forward, your hands will reach toward the sky. You will hold for three to five seconds on the landing. That would be a plyometric stabilization. Box jump up with stabilization will be plyo stabilization. Plyo strength would be full range of motion, repetitive like a jump squat, tuck jump, or butt kick. Power would be functional, fast, explosive, such as ice skaters or a single leg power step up. Your client is performing a plyometric with a three to five second hold. Which phase of the OPT model would that go into? Phase one, phase two, phase four, or phase five? That would be phase one. Balancing progressions, proprioceptively challenging. So proprioception is just where you are in space. So you start on the floor, you progress into a balance beam, half foam roller, to a foam pad, to a balance disc, to a wobble board, and then get on that BOSU ball and look like a clown because no one respects you unless you've ever had some type of lower body injury. That is the only time that science supports unstable lower body training, whether if it's a stability ball, a BOSU ball, or an Eric's pad, is if you've had an injury. Thank God we have a great team of physical therapists, the prehab guys. If you check out their app, make sure to contact me. We can get you a great discount. These are qualified physical therapists and they have over a million followers on Instagram shoot me a message on Instagram. I can get you access to their app with a great discount. I'll call it the Show Up Fitness Bosu Ball Nassim Sucks or something like that. Body position. Bilateral into stable. Unilateral into stable. Bilateral unstable. Unilateral unstable. So bilateral just means two. So both feet on the ground, one leg on the ground. And then two feet on a Bosu Ball, then one foot on a Bosu Ball. Gosh, Nassim loves BOSU balls. What is it with it? I don't get it. I guess that's why the majority of Nassim trainers can't bench 135. But who cares about that? You got to pass this test. Let's keep going, Chris. Come on. Corrective flexibility is static. One to three sets for 30 seconds. 
active isolated stretching, which will be done in the strength portion, phases two, three, and four. One to three sets, one to two second holds. Functional dynamic stretching would be performed in phase five, and that would be like a prisoner squat or a lunge with rotation, and you're doing one to two of those sets. So when you hold for 30 seconds, corrective phase one. One to two second holds, phases two, three, and four. Any type of dynamic would be phase five. Every phase of the OPT model, you need to self-myofascial release, also referred to SMR. If you do not, your client will die. The warm-up portion, according to NASM, should be 5 to 10 minutes, and the cool-down should be 5 to 10 minutes. I cannot suggest this enough as an actual qualified fitness professional. Do not, I repeat, do not spend 20 minutes warming up and cooling down. You will have zero clients. If you want a foam roll, foam roll. I think they're fine. I just like busting people's jaws because we're so sensitive today. Foam rolling has a place, whatever. Speed is the ability to move the body into one direction as quickly as possible, like a 40-yard dash. Agility is the ability to accelerate and decelerate as fast as possible. That would be like your left or figure eight drill. Quickness is the ability to react in all three planes of motion like a ladder or a side shuffle. So speed, one direction. Agility, start, stop. Quickness, all planes of motion. When you're training different populations, youth, red light, green light is a great game. For seniors, NASM loves to stand up to figure eight. Beginners should wait 48 to 72 hours before attempting any type of speed, agility, and quickness drills. Speed, agility, and quickness drills. The cues that you should be using are your knees straight ahead, neutral spine, with the front side mechanics being triple flexion, which is hip flexion, knee flexion, and ankle dorsiflexion. Triple extension is on the back side with hip extension, knee extension, and plantar flexion. What should the trailing leg look like during cable rotations? That answer would be triple extensions. Now we need to know the human movement system, which is going to be the nervous system, muscular system, and the skeletal system. The nervous system provides a communication network within the body, stimulates the human movement through muscle contractions, and providing sensory info to the brain. The neuron is the basic unit of the nervous system, which consists of the axon, cell body, and the dendrites. The nucleus resides inside of the cell body. Mechanoreceptors are sensitive to changes in length of muscle and rate of change. The muscle spindles are sensitive to length and stretch. The Golgi tendon is sensitive to tension. Think of Golgi tendon and tension. Think of muscle spindle and a stretch. When I touch my toes, my hamstrings feel taut because the muscle spindles are being stretched. When you foam roll, you are holding a sensitive spot, creating tension. That is the Golgi tendon. The skeletal system provides a framework for our body. There's 206 bones in the human body of which they protect vital organs. Osteoporosis is reduced bone mineral density, which increases the risk of fracture. Osteopenia is lower than normal bone mineral density, and it's the precursor to osteoporosis. Think of osteopenia like overweight, and osteoporosis like obese. Osteoporosis and obesity is worse than osteopenia and being overweight. 
muscular system, links the nervous and skeletal system, generates forces that move the human body. The, the prefix osteo is making reference to the basic unit of bone, which is osteon. The prefix sarco, sarcopenia, sarcomere, is the basic unit of muscle. And then we have the neuron. Neuro is making reference to the nervous system. The human movement science, open chain exercises. That's when the distal extremities, such as your hands and your feet, they move. Closed chain exercises, where your distal extremities, your hands and feet, are fixated. So let's take, for example, a squat. The most distal, which would be your feet, are fixated on the ground and they're not moving concentrically or eccentrically during the movement. That would be a closed chain exercise. When you do a leg extension, the most distal region being your feet, are moving. So the leg extension would be an open chain exercise. When you do a chin-up, your hands are fixated on the bar. That would be closed. Whereas a lat pull-down, whether if it be pronated, which is your knuckles that are up, or supinated, where your knuckles are turned down, your hands are moving. Therefore, it is an open chain exercise. Let's take a look at a bench press or a push-up. I want you to think right now which one is considered closed. That would be the push-up because the hands are not moving. The bench press would be an open chain exercise. Agonist is the main mover. Antagonist is the opposite. Synergist is the assisting muscle and the stabilizer stabilizes. The stabilizers will always be the rotator cuff for pushing and pulling exercise. For any lower body exercise, the stabilizing group will be your transverse abdominis. The rotator cuff, C-U-F-F, not cup, don't sound like an idiot. You need to know that if you want to become a qualified, show up fitness certified personal trainer, but not for NASM. They're not going to quiz you on the specifics of what does the supraspinatus or the infraspinatus or the teres minor or the subscapularis, what do they do? Those are things that we will test you on within our SUF CPT. And then as you move throughout our programs, we have a mentorship and you need to be able to name 60 muscles and their actions because we set the standard for excellence, not a textbook, but you don't care about that. Let's get back into memorizing this textbook so you can pass this as quickly as you can. A force-couple relationship, synergistic action of multiple muscles working together to produce movement around a joint. So for example, the upper lower trapezius and the serratus anterior, that's your boxing side muscle, it helps move the scapulas upward. You need to know force couple. Let's think about this for a second. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much fun are we having? We are 30 minutes into the guide and we're about to get into chapter 1. That's what a textbook does. Could you imagine being in class with me and you can go, Chris, I don't understand that. Can you explain it? And then we have a conversation. Your camera will be on during the Zoom calls. If you're watching it on demand within our app and you don't understand it, you can go into our community board and say, Chris, Josh, Katie, Travis, Dean, Megan, one of the numerous instructors that we have, can you please help explain this? I don't understand. How do you program for a client who's trying to lose fat and has knee pain? And then we'll have a discussion and a class on that specific case example. That is why Show Up Fitness CPTs are the best in the game. We are not textbook trainers. We are qualified trainers. 
But let's get into chapter one and have some fun. That was the intro. Now we're going to go through chapter by chapter for the study guide. I also have the textbook with me, and I may make some references, which are in our blog. If you've not read our blog, we give away $25 to $100 winners every week. Comment on the blog of which you read something that you enjoy. Before we get into chapter one, I want to read you a great text message from one of our Show Up Fitness CPTs who did an interview in the Sacramento area. He met with the director of personal training, took him through the assessments, and I will read to you what he just said. They said I nailed it from top to bottom, from the dynamic warm-up, the multiple patterns of movement, strength and hypertrophy circuit with the CCA, and the Metcon finisher. At the end, he said that was the top five assessments that he's ever seen a new trainer take him through. The CCA reference is how we program it show up fitness. It will get you hired anywhere, but more importantly, it helps build that confidence. Are you ready for the best quote ever? So you started this nine months ago with an internship. You now have two certs with NASM and show up fitness CPT and been training since December. That show up fitness CPT must be one hell of a program. And that's what we're creating at Show Up Fitness. The best trainers in the world. And it begins for some of you because you can't get a refund right here. So pass this ASAP and the guide and the audio version is going to help narrow your focus. So you can just listen to this over and over again. You're going to hear my voice in your dreams, but you're going to wake up with a smile because you will pass. I guarantee it. So get that belt buckle ready. Chapter one, you do not need to read it. It would be good to flashcard the following terms. 80% of adults do not meet the recommended activity guidelines. The BMI ranges for normal are 18.5 to 24.9. Overweight is 25 to 29.9. Obese is 30 to 39.9. Morbidly obese is 40 plus. Hypertension is 140 over 90. Good blood pressure is 120 over 80. Systolic is the top. Diastolic is the bottom. Low-density lipoprotein is referred to as bad cholesterol. It's LDLs. The good cholesterol, HDL, high-density lipoproteins. Type 1 diabetics, child onset, less than 10% of diabetes cases. Type 2 is insulin resistant, and that is via exercise and a lack of optimal nutrition and overeating. Four out of five or 80% of people experience low back pain. You will hear a lot of the same things over and over again, like BMI and blood pressure, because those are easy questions to get right. You better not miss those, and if you do, you're not going to pass. Chapter two, all you need to know is a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, which is greatly outdated. That's why at Shell Fitness, we go over a SWIFT analysis every month, the beginning of the month. We will have calls and we'll talk about our strengths, our weaknesses, and your business and things that you can improve, implement, and innovate. That's what the I's stand for. Those are action-based. What are your fears? What is your threat? We discuss these in details to get you thinking bigger. If you would like to hop on one of these calls, shoot us an email, info at showupfitness.com, and let us know what you think. You need to know the four P's of marketing, product, place, price, and promotion. If you ever own a gym, 
Don't learn from NASA because they don't have gyms. Show Up Fitness does. Santa Monica, West Hollywood, La Jolla. There should be another P, and that's parking. When you start your own gym, you need to look into the city planning and see what the rules and regulations are. But parking is extremely important. You need 2.0 CEUs, which are continuing education units, and they're required to renew your NASM. That is 0.19 CEUs and then 0.1 for CPR for a total of 2.0. Do not get the recertification bundle because they will make you do it again. They're a great marketing company. Don't get swindled into that BS. Chapter three, you may have three to five total questions. NASM loves motivational interviewing. A motivation describes when someone is not motivated to engage. Extrinsic motivation is reward and recognition. Intrinsic motivation, you feel a sense of satisfaction, a sense of belonging or a sense of autonomy and control. BCT, which is behavioral change techniques, these are the stages of change. We have pre-contemplation with no plan to exercise. Contemplation, you're planning to in the next six months. Preparation, you work out but not regularly. Action, you're exercising regularly but you've not for six months. Maintenance is six plus months of exercising. Termination, you're never going back. Smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. An example of a test question that you would see from this chapter would be, I like to exercise because I enjoy taking care of my health and well-being. This is an example of A, A motivation, B, intrinsic motivation, C, extrinsic motivation, D, potent motivation, E, Chris has giant biceps. Oh, you're not going to see that one on the exam, but that is true. The answer would be B, as in boy, intrinsic motivation. Your client just started working out but hasn't been doing it for six months. What stage of change are they in? A, pre-contemplation. B, contemplation. C, preparation. D, action. The answer would be action. Maintenance would be six plus months. Your client wants to lose 10 pounds in five days. This is not a smart goal due to A, specificity. B, measurable. C, attainable. D, timely. Correct answer would be timely. Chapter five, you may see a total of three to five questions. Human movement science, physiology, anatomy, very important to know, but NASA will not test you a lot on it. So you need to know the nervous system. The basic unit is a neuron, the dendrite, axon, and cell body. The CNS is the brain and spinal column. The PNS is everything coming out of the spinal column. Also, your mechanoreceptors, which are your muscle spindles. Remember, think of a stretch, Golgi tendon organ. Think of tension and foam rolling. Make sure to foam roll. And joint receptors. Three stages of learning. Cognitive, associative, and autonomous. So think of cognitive as when you're standing on one leg and you put your foot down immediately. You are learning movement. Associative is you're beginning to understand. So the second and third time that you stand on one leg, you're doing it longer. Autonomous is it's a learned skill. There's no thought. So standing on your leg for 30 seconds of what you should be able to do. That's a great test to determine if you're going to live to be 100 or not. 
a centennial test. All things that we will teach you at Show Up Fitness. NASA doesn't care about that. They want you to get their next specialty certification. The skeletal system has 206 bones. In the axial skeleton, there's 80. In the appendiculars, 126. The basic unit is called the osteon. We have these specialized cells called osteoblasts that build up the bone. So let's think of B for build, osteoblasts. And then we have osteoclasts. They break down the bone. Think of a class like a claw. The longest bone in the human body is the femur. The smallest is in the inner ear. These bones are called the incus, malus, and stapes. A ligament connects bone to bone. Think of your ACL. A tendon connects muscle to bone. Think of your Achilles. That's your calf muscles going into your calcaneus bone, which is your heel. That is a tendon. The muscular system, the basic unit, is called a sarcomere. Actin and myosin are myofibrils, of which myosin is the larger of the two. Glucose is a stored unit in the muscle, and we store it as glycogen. Glucose is a monosaccharide, and you will learn more about that here shortly. A motor unit is a single neuron cell and all the associated muscle fibers that it innervates. We have a mentorship program with professors, and one of the requirements is you need to be able to explain the size principle. NASM, where is the size principle in your textbook? Oh, it's not in there. Hmm, interesting. So you need to know what the size principle is to be able to understand the complexities of motor unit recruitment. The sliding filament theory Muscle contractions involving actin and myosin sliding past one another, shortening the muscle during a concentric muscle contraction. You may see one question on that. Think of a bicep curl. When the weight is down by my side, a 70-pound dumbbell, because that's what I curl. When I bring it up to my shoulder, that is concentric. My biceps have concentrically accelerated elbow flexion. When I bring the dumbbell down, that is eccentric. My muscle is lengthened. The process on a cellular level is referred to as the sliding filament theory. We have type 1 and type 2 muscle fibers. Think of type 1 as aerobic, like a marathon runner. Type 2 is anaerobic, like a sprinter. Basketball players are more type 2. Swimmers are more type 1. Capillaries are the smallest blood vessels and at the site of exchange of elements between the blood and the tissues. Let's review some questions now. Your client just performed one set of 20 repetitions during the stabilization endurance phase, which is one, on a BOSU ball. They will actually ask you this shit. They looked down at the ground the entire time and had a fixed stare. What phase are they learning in? Autonomic, autonomous, cognitive, peripheral. That would be the cognitive phase of learning. Don't do it on a BOSU ball. If you want to get on a BOSU ball, Know what it stands for, both sides utilized, both sides up, and the likelihood of hurting yourself is just going to increase. Sure, have a reason why you do it. If you had a client who sprained an ankle, BOSU balls are great. In my 20 years of being a personal trainer, I have not once ever had someone come into one of my gyms and said, hey, Chris, can I get on a BOSU ball? It doesn't work like that. Your clients want to look great naked. Proper programming will help them with that. Which connective tissue connects bone to bone? Ligaments, fascia, tendons, or myofibril? Correct answer would be A, ligaments. The human movement system consists of muscular, respiratory, digestive systems, muscular, skeletal, nervous systems, 
muscular skeletal endocrine systems, digestive cardiac nervous system. B would be the answer, muscular skeletal and nervous system. There's actually 14 systems of the human body, which we discuss part of the show fitness CPT, creating the best personal trainers in the world. Neurons are comprised of which three parts? The cell body, axon, dendrites, muscle, spindle, bones, tissue, lysosomes, mitochondria, Golgi complex, axon, mechanoreceptors, dendrites. A good rule of thumb, never choose an answer with a word that you've not seen or heard before. So I would automatically cross out C. Muscle spindle is not part of the neuron. Mechanoreceptors are not as well. Leaves us with A, cell body, axon, and dendrites. Chapter six, three to five questions about heart anatomy. The upper chambers are called the atriums. The lower chambers are called the ventricles. The SA node is called the pacemaker. You have to remember, if you go online or Reddit, wherever you're exploring different depths of hell on the internet, you may have someone say, I got 10 questions about nutrition. I had a lot on heart. They have 30 or so questions that are testing that they will put in there that we don't know. I don't know. I don't work for NASM. I've never had a test from NASM. But the general consensus is, the 20 to 30 questions that they're going to be putting on there may make it seem like one topic is emphasized more. So for example, they may only have two questions that they're using for the overall score from heart anatomy, but they could have four additional ones on there about the heart. And overall, that's six questions. And you're thinking, wow, that's a decent amount of the exam. We don't know which ones they're testing. Overall, you're not going to see a lot on heart. There's three types of muscles. There's skeletal, which has 650 plus muscles. Smooth muscle, which is the lining of arteries, the veins, and GI tract. And then you have the cardiac tissue, which is your heart. The term bradycardia is less than 60 beats per minute. The term tachycardia is greater than 100 beats per minute. Tachycardia will be referred to as a contraindication to exercise. You should not work with someone who has a resting heart rate of greater than 100. Refer them out to a physician. The average resting heart rate for your clients will be 70 to 80. Hunks will be 70. 75 will be hunkettes. Don't use the word male and female today. You will get in big time trouble. We are a super politically correct nation, so we call them hunks and hunkettes. I'm a hunk. You're a hunk. You're a hunkette. Let's have fun. Pass this so you can become a qualified trainer. Your blood is comprised of 55% plasma, 45% red and white blood cells, and then platelets. The adult heart holds between four to six liters of blood. Arteries go away from the heart. Veins go back to the heart. Venules are small veins that drain from capillaries into larger veins. Arterioles are small arteries that eventually divide into capillaries. You may see one question on venules or arterioles. The Valsalva maneuver is an increase in intra-abdominal pressure and should be avoided for people who have high blood pressure, pregnant, or have experienced any type of stroke. You should breathe through the concentric and eccentric portions of the lift to avoid this. Now, if you're lifting heavy, it is encouraged to hold your breath. For example, if I have 400 pounds on my back, which I don't because I don't like the squat and I'm a wimp, thank God for my great genetics and my beautiful calves, But if I was going to squat one rep, 
I would hold my breath on the way down. Pretend like you're about to go underwater. That creates intra-abdominal pressure, which you want to support your low back and to be stable. Dysfunctional breathing is a result of shallow breaths and are due to overactive muscles of the sternocleomastoid and the scalenes and pec minor. These are upper body muscles. The sternum is your chest bone. On top of the mastoid process lies the masseter, which is the second strongest muscle in the human body behind my biceps. So the sternocleomastoid starts at the sternum and comes up to the chin bone. It is so difficult not to laugh out loud when I make little jokes like that. Imagine how much fun you would have in class learning about movement with show-up fitness. The catabolic hormones are cortisol, which is produced from the adrenal cortex. These are on top of your kidneys. Glucagon is produced by the pancreas. Catabolic means to break down. Hormones are not bad. Think of them like the movie Gremlins. The cute little fluffy guy is perfect. He's great. But if you feed him past 12 o'clock, all hell breaks loose. That's the same with hormones. Hormones do their job. If there's too much, it can be problematic. If there's not enough, it can be problematic. People who classify hormones as good or bad do not know what the hell they are talking about. Hormones are beautiful, as are you. Anabolic hormones are HGH, which is produced by the pituitary gland, testosterone, which is produced by the testes in males, the lytic cells, and then the adrenal glands for females. Insulin is produced in the pancreas, IGF in the liver. The adrenal glands produce the catecholamines, which are adrenaline and noradrenaline, also referred to as epinephrine or norepinephrine. Insulin and glucagon are referred to as antagonistic hormones because they are opposite. Insulin is anabolic and released from the pancreas. Glucagon is catabolic and released from the pancreas. When my blood sugar levels rise, I release insulin, which will then take them out of the bloodstream. When my blood sugar levels are low, glucagon is released to break down glycogen, which is stored glucose. If you ever have a client who gets lightheaded or dizzy from doing a full body workout, which is very common, Glucose tablets are a great aid to have. Chew a couple of those suckers and you'll start feeling great again. Gluconeogenesis is the creation of glucose via a non-carbohydrate substrate, such as protein. Vessels that transport blood away from the heart are known as arteries, veins, venules, or the atrium. The correct answer would be arteries. What are the smaller chambers located superiorly on either side of the heart that gather blood returning to the heart, much like a reservoir? Atria, ventricles, atrial ventricle node, sinoatrial node. The answer would be A, atria. The ventricles are pumping blood and they are inferior. The amount of blood pumped out of the heart with each contraction is referred to as heart rate, cardiac output, radial pulse, or stroke volume? The answer would be D, stroke volume. Which blood vessels collect blood from capillaries and progressively merge with veins to transport blood back to the heart? Arterioles, venules, vena cava, or arteries? The correct answer would be B, venules. Resting oxygen consumption is approximately aka 1 met. What does this mean? 3.5 milliliters of oxygen per kilogram, 
350 milliliters of oxygen per kilogram, 35 milliliters of oxygen per kilogram, or 0.35 milliliters of oxygen per kilogram. The correct answer would be 3.5 milliliters of oxygen per kilogram of body weight per minute. Just a great flashcard to have. 3.5 small m large l times kg dash one times minute dash one. So just write that out. And if you type in what is one met on Google, you can use that reference. Chapter seven is one of the more confusing chapters. This is basic orientation. I have a lot of YouTubes going over planes of motion and the orientation and the vocabulary that we will be using when you go to seminars and you read textbooks. If you're not familiar with Eric Cressy, he is a pioneer in the industry with two large locations, one in Florida, one in Boston. He gave a seminar and there was someone in the audience who said, your seminar was amazing, but the way that you speak is very challenging to understand. You should dumb it down. Eric said, that's exactly what I will not do. The barrier for entry to call yourself a personal trainer and even a strength coach is extremely low. I challenge you to level up. So these words that you're learning, it's like a different language. This is exactly why so many medical professionals look at trainers as a joke. Because if they were to write a medical note, most trainers cannot interpret what they are reading. Medial, lateral, contralateral, distal, proximal. These are all terms that we should know, such as sagittal, an imaginary line bisecting the body into right and left halves, allowing for flexion and extension. If you were to extend your arm in front of you with your palm open, that's called supinated. If I were to flex my elbow or bring my palm close to my shoulder, that is referred to as flexion. When I do a bicep curl, I'm flexing the elbow. When I do a tricep extension, concentrically I'm extending my elbow. We should know this terminology. Frontal is an imaginary line bisecting the body into anterior and posterior halves, allowing for AB and adduction. Transverse is an imaginary line bisecting the body into superior and inferior halves, allowing for rotation. This may sound confusing. I understand. That's why the belt buckle trainer is going to help you. I want you to be respected and not looked at as a nincompoop like a lot of trainers are. I want you to think of airport security and when you're walking through the metal detectors. And TSA agent right there isn't smiling like most people today. They never do. You're walking through the metal detector and you're stuck in the middle of it with your right shoulder being on one side and your left shoulder being on the other side. Any movement that I can do while I'm stuck is sagittal. So I could bring my hands forward, that's flexion. I could walk, I could walk backwards, I could lunge, I could squat. Anything I can do while I am technically stuck in that position with my shoulders would be sagittal. Now if I were to turn, you can do a lot of exercises in the sagittal plane. Running, jumping, squatting, lunging, bicep curls, chin-ups. We are sagittal creatures. The majority of the exercises that we perform in the gym are sagittal. Now, frontal would be walking up to a wall with your toes touching and your nose touching. In this situation, any movement that takes place would be frontal. So moving your arm to the side like a lateral raise, doing a pull-up if there was a bar in front of you, doing a side shuffle, a band walk. These are all frontal exercises. Now, the best I can do for transverse, it's a little weird, but pretend like you are in a toilet paper roll, the cylinder. 
any type of movement that can take place is going to be transverse. So rotation, twisting, a chest fly, a reverse fly, a sumo squat. The joint is rotating, therefore it is a transverse exercise. Concentric and eccentric muscle contractions. When a muscle shortens, think of acceleration, that's concentric. When it lengthens, it would be the negative in the gym, that is eccentric. We are stronger eccentrically. Please do not have your clients doing banded pull-ups or banded push-ups. You are a trainer. Show your value. Help them get up on the bar, hold that position, and then come down. That is eccentric. If you want to get better at pull-ups, you got to get over the bar and come down eccentrically. I once had a student who said she worked with a trainer for seven years, and she's never been able to do a pull-up. Within the first week, I had her doing sets of three to five eccentric pull-ups. Within a month, she was able to do five pull-ups by herself. If you want to get better at the movement, you need to do the movement. Obviously, this is bearing any type of shoulder injuries or if your client is morbidly obese, lacks upper body strength, you need to use your common sense. But unfortunately, common sense is not very common today. So if you want to use a machine or bands, it's fine. It's just not optimal. Isometric, that's a muscle action where there's no length change. Think of a plank or a wall sit. Or if you were to push both of your hands together, that would be an isometric contraction for your pectoralis major. Isokinetic is a high-end piece of equipment that would be used in a laboratory, and that's where the speed of movement is fixed. Open kinetic chain exercises where the distal segment is moving. Think of a leg curl, a bench press, or a lat pull-down. Closed kinetic chain exercise where the distal segment is fixed. Squats, pull-ups, and lunges. I think this is a great opportunity to revisit the agonist and synergist of these movements. So a leg curl is knee flexion. The hamstrings would be the agonist. The antagonist is the opposite, and that would be your quadriceps. This is a sagittal plane exercise. The bench press is multiplanar, and that's because we're going through the transverse horizontally as well as sagittal. The exercise is going to be recruiting the pectoralis major as the agonist. The synergist at the elbow would be the triceps. The posterior deltoid would be the antagonist. The lat pulldown, the main mover is your latissimus dorsi, also referred to as the back. The biceps would be the synergist. The plane of motion is frontal. The antagonist is the opposite exercise, which would be a military press. So the deltoids would be the antagonist. Squats at the knee, the agonist will be your quads. At the hip, it's your glutes. According to NASM, the synergist would be your hamstrings. <sighs> NASM, why don't you guys get up to date? It's technically not your hamstrings. It's your adductors, but let's stick in the 1980s. Pull-ups, the agonist would be your latissimus dorsi. The synergist would be your biceps. A frontal plane exercise similar to the lat pull-down. The difference is one is open, the lat pull-down is. The pull-ups are closed. Lunges are a unilateral movement pattern. And depending on your torso position, you can bias the quads or the hips. Things that NASA would not test you on. That's what qualified coaches are tested on at Show Up Fitness. But for this exam, NASA, you just need to know lunges are in the sagittal plane of motion. Altered reciprocal inhibition. 
agonist receives a signal while the functional antagonist receives an inhibitory signal allowing it to lengthen. So I'm sitting right now, the psoas major is the agonist, the antagonist are the glutes. When I stand up, I lean over, therefore my hamstrings take over for hip extension. This is referred to as synergistic dominance. The stretch shortening cycle is referencing a plyometric movement where a normal movement would have an eccentric, isometric, and concentric portion. The stretch shortening cycle is loading the muscle eccentrically to prep for a rapid contraction. The energy is stored in what's referred to as the series elastic component, which is a tendon, and the transition between the eccentric and concentric portion is very rapid, and that's termed amortization. So the only thing you need to know about this is that amortization is the middle portion. Very quickly, when I load down or eccentrically, a rapid connection is made in the spinal column, and that's referred to as the amortization portion, and then the concentric is coming out. When I jump properly, I load my arms behind my body, and then very quickly, rapidly, I move forward and fly through the air like Iron Man. Or was it Iron Hunk? Whichever. But that's how you jump properly. Force velocity curve. As the velocity of a concentric action increases, its ability to produce force decreases. During an eccentric action, as velocity increases, the ability to develop force also increases. These are two questions that you will definitely see on the NASM CPT. Just think of the following. When you throw a baseball, the mass is low, the velocity is high. When you throw a bowling ball, do not try that, but the mass is heavy, the velocity will be significantly lower. I know that can be a little confusing. Just think of a five-pound dumbbell when you're doing a curl. As the velocity of the concentric action increases, your ability to produce force decreases. I know that's a little confusing, so just memorize velocity of a concentric action increases, the ability to produce force decreases, and you'll be good to go. First, second, and third class levers, they may ask you one question. All you need to know, first class is nodding your head, as I'm doing now. I don't know why, but first class is nodding the head. Second class is plantar flexion, which is pointing your toes down to the ground, or like a push-up. Third class lever would be a bicep curl. Most limbs in the human body are these third class levers, like a hamstring curl. I'm not a biomechanist. If you want to learn more about biomechanics, learn from great names like Brett Contreras. He has a PhD in how the gluteus maximus works. Let's go over some questions. An anatomical location referring to a point above is referred to as distal, superior, inferior, or proximal. Distal is furthest away. Inferior is below. Proximal is the closest point of origin. Superior would be the answer. B, superior. Which of the following is a third class lever? Tricep extension, nodding the head, hamstring curl, or push-up. Hamstring curl would be a third class lever. During a bench press, which muscles are the stabilizers? Rotator cuff, triceps, biceps, or pec major? The pectoralis major would be the agonist. The biceps are not engaged in the bench press. The triceps are the synergist at the elbow. The correct answer would be the rotator cuff. You do not need to know the names of the rotator cuff muscles for NASM, but for show-up fitness, you do. The supraspinatus, the infraspinatus, the teres minor, and the subscapularis. 
I love to help girls in the gym memorize anatomy to help avoid a bunch of dipshits who are going to come try to give you lifting advice. If a guy ever tells you you're doing an upper body exercise wrong, ask him if he knows the name of the rotator cuff muscles. And if he cannot, say, hey, thanks, dipshit. You don't need to mansplain this exercise. I am competent in movement, but thanks. Get the hell out of here. We need less mansplaining and more knowledgeable people in the gym. Which of the following is an example of a close kinetic chain exercise? A leg curl, leg extension, push-up, or chest fly. Just look at the most distal portion of each one of these exercises. For the leg curl, your hamstrings are working at the knee concentrically. Your foot is moving, therefore it's open. This is asking for closed. Leg extension, we have extension of the knee, which is going to be the quads. The feet are moving, so it's open. A chest fly is a single jointed exercise in the transverse plane. Horizontal adduction is taking place at the humerus. That rotation is going to make it transverse. That is an open exercise because your hands are moving. The only exercise where the distal region is not moving is a push-up. It's a closed kinetic chain exercise. Chapter 8, you do not need to read. This is very important and something that we hold interns responsible for knowing how to explain bioenergetics in front of a panel of coaches but you're not going through show up fitness mentorship yet. You're trying to pass this textbook. So for bioenergetics, all you need to know is the following. ATPPC, this is anaerobic metabolism from zero to 30 seconds. Think of power athletes, sprinters, jumpers, crossfitters, basketball players, volleyball, bodybuilders. Type two recruitment, the two most important things for bioenergetics are duration and intensity. If the intensity is really high, the duration is going to be low, and that's going to be ATP, PC. PC is phosphocreatine. Which part of bioenergetics is going to include creatine? That would be ATP, PC. Glycolytical is 30 seconds to 3 minutes. Think of a middle distance runner, which would be 400 meters to 800 meters. 3 minutes plus, that's going to be the duration aspect, would be oxidative, Fat oxidation, we're using fat as a fuel source. We produce a lot of ATP and requires oxygen. That's why it's referred to as aerobic. ATP is produced inside of the cell, the mitochondria, and it just takes longer. And that's, again, why they call it aerobic with oxygen. Three plus minutes, think of runners, cyclists, endurance athletes. If we're doing something longer than 75 minutes, this could deaminate protein, and that's why you'll see a lot of these individuals who are long-distance athletes typically do not have nearly as much muscle mass as, say, a sprinter. Think of Usain Bolt versus Kip, the world record holder in the marathon. The lean body mass is significantly different. TDEE is referred to as total daily energy expenditure. This is an equation that we address in our nutrition coach program, which we have a registered dietitian. Do not, I repeat, do not get the NASM or Precision Nutrition textbook certification. You don't get to ask any questions to registered dietitians. You're reading a thousand page textbook, which will not help you make money off of your clients. And that's exactly what we teach you at Show Up Fitness. The folly of trainers is you have one stream of revenue. And I know from experience being a trainer for 20 years, seeing a lot of trainers in the corporate setting fail. If you put all your eggs in one basket, when COVID happens, like it did, we saw a huge 
decrease in employment. As much as 60% of the field was wiped out. And that's because we did not focus on streams of revenue like we teach you at Show Up Fitness. We teach the 60-30-10 split. 60% of your revenue should come from one stream, 30% from another, 10% from the last one. The 30% one should come from online coaching as well as nutritional coaching. You should get paid per hour to talk to your clients about nutrition. And that's what we teach you with the Show Up Fitness Nutrition Coach two-month program. You get access to myself and a registered dietitian. All you need to know when it comes to chapter eight is that high intense is using carbs. Carbs are glucose. Glucose is coming from muscle and liver glycogen and low intensity work would utilize fat. What is the name of the storage form of glucose? Glycogen, gluconeogenesis, triglyceride, or macronutrient. The four macronutrients are carbs, fats, and protein, as well as alcohol, my favorite, because it yields a calorie. One gram of alcohol is seven calories. One gram of protein and carbs are four. One gram of fat is nine calories. Gluconeogenesis is the generation of new glucose from a non-carbohydrate substrate. And that is why marathon runners typically are a lot smaller because we're breaking down muscle if we're doing it longer than 75 minutes. Triglyceride is three fatty acid units connected to a glyceride molecule, hence tri and then glyceride. The correct answer for the storage form of glucose is glycogen. The formation of glucose from a non-carbohydrate source, such as amino acids, is called, as I just mentioned, gluconeogenesis. Beta oxidation and the Krebs cycle are both part of the last portion of bioenergetics. Glycolysis is the middle one. ATPPC is the first one. The single most difficult question that you may see on the NASM exam would be the following. What is the proper order for oxidation of a free fatty acid? If you just memorize aerobic glycolysis, Krebs cycle, electron transport train, that is the most difficult question you would see. Again, aerobic glycolysis, Krebs cycle is first, and then the ETT, which is the electron transport train. As activity increases, the usage of carbohydrate as an energy source becomes roughly 50% and 50% fat. This metabolic marker is referred to as ventilary threshold one, ventilary threshold two, ventilary threshold three, and then ventilary threshold four. When it's 50-50, it would be VT1. That is the lowest intense. VT3 and 4 would be more anaerobic. Think of when you can talk, it's VT1. When you cannot, it's VT3 and 4. How many non-essential amino acids are there? 5, 9, 11, and 20. Amino acids are the basic unit for protein, and that's what we're deaminating. You've probably heard of BCAAs branch chain amino acids. So amino acid is the smallest unit and there's 20. Now when you hear the word essential, that means you need to consume it in your diet. Non-essential means that your body is already making it. It's organic. Not like organic at whole foods. It means it's already in the body, as is creatine. Creatine is stored in the muscle. We already have it. But you can consume animal products such as red meat to increase your creatine intake. But why not just take a supplement? So for this answer, how many non-essential amino acids are there? The answer would be 11. Think of the word non-essential versus essential. It's longer. So there's 11 non-essential. There are nine essential amino acids.
A 100-meter sprinter primarily utilizes blank as her energy source, ATP-PC, glycolysis, oxidation, or deamination. The correct answer would be A, ATP, PC. Part of the Show Up Fitness Mentorship Program, we have a professor, Dr. Chiliwa, and he breaks down bioenergetics that is digestible. I've also done an interview with Dr. Andy Galpin. He's a world-renowned scientist in exercise physiology. He's been on the Huberman Podcast. Doc Galpin is one of the best people you can learn from. He has some amazing sources. Watch that video or get into one of our live calls. Part of the Show Up Fitness community, we have our app. If you cannot watch the calls live, they're on demand. Really no excuses not to learn this stuff. It's really, really important to understand bioenergetics, but you're not going to be tested a lot when it comes to NASM. That's what we do. We want you to be a qualified coach who understands bioenergetics and more difficult things like the size principle, but NASM doesn't care about that. You don't either because you just want to pass this test. So let's move into chapters 9 and 10. As I said earlier, you should not get the NASM bundle. And if you cannot get a refund and you got swindled into the CES, the nutrition course, and all that other bull crap, tough. You have to go through it. You don't have to, but most of you will. The nutrition course is a textbook. You do not get to ask questions. NASM is very, very clever. They're not going to put a lot of nutrition questions on their CPT. Think about it for a second. If you take the exam and you pass, you're going to be all excited and you're going to post on your story, look at me, I'm a trainer. Inside, you have the imposter phenomenon. You're thinking, I have no idea how to train. And now that I think about it, there wasn't a lot on nutrition. Well, I want to learn more about nutrition. So then you get the next specialty cert. That's great marketing. So they get you to buy, buy, buy. But the question, just like the NASM CPT, Are you really learning the material and competent so you can assess someone's movement properly by not scaring them into some overhead squat baloney and then sit them down and present a solution that fits their goals and to sell them? Training is sales. Get over it. Don't think of it as a negative thing. Think of it as a positive thing. I cannot wait to sit down and talk about sales because I'm selling myself and I'm the best trainer in the world. That's what needs to be going through your mind. Sales is not a negative thing. It should be viewed as a positive thing, and that comes from confidence and competence. So when it comes to nutrition, you will not be tested very much. Chapters 9 and 10, you could skip. The only thing you really need to know, macro, which is the bigger portions, so that's your protein, carbs, fats, and alcohol, and then your micro, think of a micro machine, those are smaller, vitamins and minerals. Protein, four calories per gram, 20 amino acids. We have a complete amino profile, which would be from an animal source. And HCL breaks down this in the stomach. It's hydrochloric acid. Endurance athletes should be consuming 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kilogram. Strength athletes, 1.2 to 1.7 grams per kilogram. For bodybuilders and weightlifters, 1.4 to 2.0. So what you would do for this is you take the individual's weight, divide it by 2.2, and that puts you into kilograms. You do not need to know any calculations for the NASM exam. If you were to be taking the ACE exam, you would, but you're focusing on NASM. So don't worry about any type of conversions. Just know those three ranges, 1.2 to 1.4 endurance athletes, 1.2 to 1.7 strength athletes, 1.4 to 2.0 for bodybuilders and weightlifters. 
15 to 30% thermal effect of food and 10 to 35% of AMDR, which is the recommended intake. So just know those ranges. TEF is the thermal effect of food. Consuming more protein, you burn more calories. Daily intake for protein should be 10 to 35% of your diet. For carbohydrates, one gram is four calories. The basic units are called monosaccharides. We have glucose, fructose, and galactose. Fiber, females should be getting 28 grams. For males, closer to 40. Technically, 35 is what you'll be tested on. It's broken down by an enzyme called salivary amylase in the mouth. Light activity would require about 3 to 5 grams per kilogram, whereas an athlete, more intense, 8 to 5 grams per kilogram. Just remember, divide your weight by 2.2. So for a 220-pound individual, they are 100 kilograms. Glucose is stored as glycogen in the muscle and liver. More in the muscle, about three-fourths, a fourth in the liver. And we should be consuming 45 to 65% of the diet and carbohydrates according to the ADA, the Dietetics Association. The last macronutrient that we're going to look at is fat. One gram is nine calories. The enzyme in the mouth is called lingual lipase that breaks it down. 20 to 35% of daily intake. Do not consume more than 10% of saturated fat. The Western diet is typically 10 to 1 for omega-6s to omega-3. And ideally would be like a 4 to 1 ratio. LDLs are bad. Think of L as lousy. HDLs are good. Think of the H as healthy. And we should know the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. Referred to as ADEC. Vitamin A. Vitamin D as in dog. E and K. Now for water, which is also a nutrient, 60% of the human body is comprised of water. And during exercise, we should be consuming 12 to 16 ounces every 10 to 15 minutes. Men should be getting close to 15 glasses per day. Women should be getting close to 9 glasses per day. Which of the following vitamins require fat to transport throughout the body? Biotin, calcium, vitamin A, or phosphorus? Correct answer would be vitamin A, or if there was D, or E, or K. ADEC are the fat-soluble vitamins. How many liters of water are suggested for male clients? 1.7, 2.7, 3.7, or 4.7? The answer is 3.7. We're giving you liters and also cups because sometimes you will see both potentially on the exam. What percent falls within the proper range for protein consumption? 30, 40, 50, or 60%? 30% would be the correct answer. For carbohydrates, it would have been 50 or 60%. They would not give both like that. It's very obvious. How many calories are from one gram of fat? 9, 7, 13, or 4? The answer would be 9. How many grams of protein should an endurance athlete consume? 0. 0.8, 1.2, 1.8, or 2.0? The correct answer would be 1.2 grams per kilogram. They're going to make these very simple to choose the answer. You're going to have three to five total nutrition questions. We give you the bare essentials of what you're going to need to pass the exam. You may see one from caffeine. Optimal caffeine dosage is between blank MG over kilograms of body weight provided for about one hour of exercise. So that would be three to six. So again, the only thing you need to know about caffeine dosages 
is three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight. And that's going to conclude the nutrition portion. Alrighty, take a little break, get some fresh air, have a shot of whiskey. We're about halfway through. We're going to start on chapters 11 and 12 next. we got some big ones coming up, really getting into the assessment, overactive and underactive muscles, scaring your clients into movement. We're going to get you to pass this. you got to say a lot of positive affirmations. I'm going to pass this. I'm going to pass this. I'm going to pass this every single morning, every single night before you go to bed. Like I said, I'm going to be haunting your dreams. The belt buckle trainer wants you to be a successful personal trainer. It's not going to come from a textbook. It's going to come from showing up. So let's get into this next portion. Alrighty, so these next few chapters are really important for the NASM CPT. Chapter 11 and 12, this is going to go through everything assessment as well as the overactive, underactive stuff. So let's start with the basics. Men typically have 5 to 10 beats per minute less than females. And that's because a smaller the individual, you're going to have a higher resting heart rate. If you look at mice, for example, their resting heart rate is like 300 plus per minute. NASM recommends trainers to test the resting heart rate, their radial pulse versus carotid, which is in the neck. And that's because you don't want to not allow oxygen to get to the brain. Healthy body fat for men, 10 to 20%. For females, 20 to 30%. Essential body fat for females is 8 to 12. Essential for males, 3 to 5%. Fat is essential, and if we get to those essential ranges, it can be detrimental for the body, especially for females. If you get into the low teens, amenorrhea can kick in. A means without menstruation and discharge. That's how you break down that term, amenorrhea. That's a loss of your monthly cycle. So that is not a good thing when your body fat percentage gets that low. Android obesity is referencing excess visceral fat in the midsection for males, whereas gynoid obesity is referencing more subcutaneous fat or the pear shape for females. Men with a waist girth greater than 100 centimeters or 40 inches are at risk for women a waist girth greater than 88 centimeters or 35 are at risk. Skin fold testing for NASM, they're going to do the Durnum Wormsley. Four sites, the biceps and the triceps, those are vertical folds. The subscapularis and the superiliac are diagonal folds. Those are the four sites for the Durnum Wormsley. The gold standard is hydrostatic, which is when you get into a dunk tank, it's water, the Archimedes Principle. Fat is more buoyant, muscle is dense, so you get into this cylinder-like testing, which is usually going to be in a laboratory. We have the cardio tests. Most valid is VO2 max. We have the rating of perceived exertion, which is referred to as RPE. And NASM has a 1 to 10 scale. If you do the cardio test, the YMCA, it's a three-minute test with 96 steps per minute for three minutes. The two other cardio tests are the Rockport test, which is a mile time test. You walk as fast as you can. And then the 1.5 mile run test. And this is an estimation of your VO2 max, like the Rockport, but it's a run. So those are the three tests that you would have. The ventilary threshold test, one and two. One is aerobic, and that is the talk test. So if you can do cardio while you can talk, that is 
ventilatory threshold one. Two is anaerobic. You cannot talk. Let's get into some posture stuff. NASM loves posture. If you do not have perfect posture, you in fact will die and your private parts will fall off. So make sure you have perfect posture according to NASM. The five checkpoints, your feet, your knees, LPHC, which is lumbo-pelvic hip complex, shoulders and head. At Show Fitness, we have 10 because we're superior, but you got to know the five for NASM. The three distortion patterns of which you should never, ever tell a client that they have this because they will not sign up and you will be part of that statistic where textbook trainers close at 20 to 30%. You need to know these for NASM though. Pes planus distortion, which is also referred to as knee valgus, lower cross syndrome, upper cross syndrome. Upper cross syndrome is a slouched upper shoulders, also referred to as like text neck. Lower cross is you sticking your butt out. I have a belt buckle on right now. If my belt buckle were to point down to the ground, that would be lower cross syndrome. And then we have plus planus, which is dynamic knee valgus, your knees trying to touch one another. This is not good according to NASM. If you have any of these, you will go to hell. The most important thing you can take from this study guide is the following overactive and underactive muscles. Now, if you really want to be smart, use the proper terminology, which is latent or latency. So a muscle is latent. That means that it's getting an abnormal amount of neuromuscular activity. NASM simplifies it by calling it overactive, which is short or tight. The opposite is underactive, which is lengthened. So what we need to do to the underactive muscle is strengthen them with a 4-2-1-1 tempo. For the weak muscles, we need to strengthen. For the overactive muscles, we need to foam roll and then stretch. Every Friday at 12 p.m. California time, Show Up Fitness has anatomy calls. If you ever get onto one of those calls, you can ask Travis to help you find where these muscles are. I will tell you where they're at in the body. You need to memorize where they're at with being overactive or underactive. So the following muscles are overactive or short. The gastrocnemius and the soleus. These are both calf muscles that go into your Achilles tendon. The adductors, that's your groin, your hamstring complex on the medial side. So if you were to put your hand behind your knee, medial is going to be on the inside, lateral is going to be on the outside. The medial hamstrings are the semimembranosus and semitendinosus. The lateral hamstrings are the biceps femoris. The biceps femoris is overactive. The psoas major, that's your main hip flexor, that's overactive. Your tensor fascia lata is a lateral hip muscle, that's overactive. Rectus femoris is your biarticulate quad muscle. Biarticulate means it crosses two joints. It crosses the hip and the knee. Therefore, it's going to work with hip flexion and knee extension. The piriformis is a deep six rotator. So if you were to remove your gluteus maximus and your gluteus medius, it is underneath those muscles. The quadratus lumborum, think of a quadrilateral coming off of the lumbar region. It's overactive. The erector spinae, it's your low back. Your pectoralis major and minor, these are anterior superior muscles. Your pecs are what are engaged when you do a bench press. And when I push away from the ground, that's protraction of which the pec minor works with that. 
latissimus dorsi and the teres major. If you were to use your right hand and grab your left meat under your armpit, that meat is the latissimus dorsi. The smaller meat is going to be the teres major. They call the teres major the lat's little helper. At Show Up Fitness, you need to know the seven actions of the latissimus dorsi. The acronym for that is Die Hard. NASA will not question you on that. You just need to know that those muscles are overactive. We have the upper trapezius. We have the levator scapula, sternocleomastoid, and the scalenes all overactive. I would pause this and go back and listen to this at least five times and just memorize. These muscles are overactive. Gastrocnemius, soleus, adductors, hamstring complex, psoas major, tensor fascia lata, rectus femoris, piriformis, quadratus lumborum, erector spinae, pectoralis major and minor, latissimus dorsi, teres major, upper trapezius, levator scapula, sternocleomastoid, and scalenes. If you memorize it, it's an upper body overactive or lower body overactive. When you take the test, that's essentially what they're going to be asking you. For example, your client has the following scenario, their knees buckle in. Which of the following muscles would be overactive? The answers are probably going to have two or three underactive muscles, and then the correct answer, which would be the overactive one. They're not going to have, for example, two muscles that are right next to each other. It's very, very obvious. For example, gastrocnemius or latissimus dorsi. The gastrocnemius is the lower body overactive. The latissimus dorsi is an upper body overactive. So if the compensation is lower body, you would go gastrocnemius. If it was upper body, you would go latissimus dorsi. Now for the underactive or lengthened muscles of which we want to strengthen. We have the anterior and posterior tibialis. That's your shin muscle. The vastus medialis oblique, also referred to as VMO in the NASM world. Do not say VMO outside of NASM. People will look at you as a weirdo. No one uses that term except for NASM. Gluteus maximus and gluteus minimus and medius, all three of those are underactive. Transverse abdominus or TVA, that is a deep abdominal muscle. The internal oblique is an underactive muscle. It's underneath the external oblique. Multifidi muscle, line the low back up to the skull. Very small type 1 underactive muscles. Serratus anterior, also referred to as the boxer's muscle, underactive. Middle and lower trapezius, which sit inferior to the upper trapezius. The middle and lower are underactive. The upper is overactive. The rhomboids major and minor. Teres minor and infraspinatus. Those are underactive rotator cuff muscles. Posterior deltoid. Deep cervical flexors. Those are underactive. So how the exam is going to work, your client is performing a push-up and their head protrudes forward. Which of the following muscles are overactive? And they're going to have the gastrocnemius, the sternocleomastoid, the serratus anterior, or deep cervical flexors. Overactive, I'm looking for the sterno, but also the gastrocnemius. But we know the gastroc is lower body, so the correct answer would be the sternocleomastoid. Because the deep cervical flexors, those are going to be deep underactive muscles. So really when you... Just memorize this list, underactive, anterior tibialis, posterior tibialis, vastus medialis, oblique, gluteus maximus and gluteus medius, internal oblique, multifidi, 
serratus anterior, middle and lower trapezius, rhomboids major and minor, teres minor, infraspinatus, posterior deltoid, deep cervical flexor. Memorize that and you will absolutely pass the exam. I encourage you to flashcard these and then put the muscle in the other side, put overactive, underactive, and where it is if it's superior or inferior. And then just put all these into a pile and every single day pull out a flashcard and memorize where it's out for the overactive and underactive. And then when you're done with it, never use that terminology again because it's witchcraft. Now we have the performance aspects. A push-up, which is endurance. A bench press is upper body strength. A squat is lower body strength. A vertical jump for lower body power. Broad jump as well. A left test is lower body agility and speed. 40-yard dash is speed in general. Pro shuttle 510-5 is acceleration and deceleration. You want to rest two minutes between all these trials. So you have your par cue. You're going to learn about the medical history of your client. You have subjective information and objective information. When the subject gives you information, that's going to be subjective. When you as the trainer obtain it, that is objective. So for example, the client tells you that they're a lawyer. That's subjective information. When you take their resting heart rate, that's objective information. After the subjective and objective, you will then get into a cardio test, one of the three. Then we have postural analysis, and then we have the performance tests. We have upper body and lower body, as well as the Davies test, which is an upper body agility. Your hands are 36 inches apart, and you go back and forth touching hands for 15 seconds. The lower body agility test is called the shark skill test. You are in a grid of nine squares and you will be penalized 0.1 seconds when your hands fall off the hips. If you go to the wrong square, if you do not return to the center square, or if the non-hopping foot touches the ground, those will all be penalized 0.1 seconds. So the words that you should know, contraindication, that just means you should not be doing it. For example, your client has type 2 diabetes you need to get a medical re release because they're insulin resistant. They don't recognize the job of insulin. So that would be a contraindication to movement. You need to know all of the overactive and underactive muscles and the terminology pes planus, upper and lower cross. Pes planus is when the feet collapse, also referred to as knee valgus. And that's going to be internal rotation of the hip, adduction of the knee, and then ankle eversion. Ankle inversion is how you sprain an ankle. Eversion is classified with pes planus or dynamic knee valgus. Here are some test example questions. During the overhead squat assessment, OHSA is what NASA likes to call it. You notice that your client's knees buckle inward, which is called knee valgus. Which of the following muscles needs to be strengthened? Gluteus medius, adductor complex, soleus, or hip flexors. Underactive is what we're looking at because it needs to be strengthened. The only underactive muscle will be your gluteus medius. If I were you, when I take the exam, I would look at the answers and if there's a misfit, choose it. So how I read this question is red, black, black, black. What's the misfit? Red is the misfit. So gluteus medius that's underactive, adductor complex, overactive, soleus, overactive, hip flexors, overactive. 
That's an easy answer, the gluteus medius. I'm not even going to read you the question on this next one. I want to see if you can find the answer. Hip flexors, transverse abdominis, gluteus maximus, multifidi. So your brain should go, only one of those is overactive. That's probably the muscle that the answer is going to be. Which muscles are most likely tight if a client demonstrates an arching low back during the overhead squat assessment? The answer would be your hip flexors because the glute max and the transverse abdominis are underactive as are the multifidus muscles. Which muscles are most likely overactive and should be stretched when an athlete exhibits an excessive forward lean? So we're looking for a complex of muscles here. Sometimes you will see them list three or four muscles as part of an answer. So for example, anterior tibialis, gluteus maximus, erector spinae, hip flexor complex, erector spinae, latissimus dorsi, thoracolumbar fascia, soleus, gastrocnemius, hip flexor, abdominal complex, transverse abdominis, multifidi, internal oblique, diaphragm. So I know it's kind of hard when you're driving or listening to this because that's four or five answers within one. But the, remember what I said earlier, do not choose an answer that you've not heard before. Thoracolumbar fascia and diaphragm, I would cross those two off. So then the question is asking about being stretched. So it's an overactive group that you're looking for. And that would be the soleus gastroc, hip flexor complex, and the abdominal complex. Next question. If a client demonstrates their knees caving in during the overhead squat, which muscles are most likely overactive? Gluteus maximus, gluteus medius, vastus medialis oblique, or adductor complex? Glutes are underactive, as are the VMO. The adductor complex would be the answer. If a client has pes planus distortion syndrome, which of the following should be foam rolled? Gluteus maximus, anterior tibialis, hip flexors, or gluteus medius? Hip flexors should be foam rolled. So you see how they can ask the same question two or three different times. Asking if it should be foam rolled, if it should be stretched, which one's weak, which one's overactive. Which of the following assessments should be avoided for a pregnant client? Overhead squat, single leg squat, pushing test, or back squat. The single leg test should be avoided for a pregnant client. These are within the contraindications in the NASM textbook. Which of the following arteries is the most common for personal trainers to use? Radial, brachial, carotid, or femoral. Never tick your client's femoral artery. You'll get slapped. Carotid is the neck. Brachial is underneath your biceps brachii. Brachial just means upper arm. Radial pulse is thumb side. That's what you'll be checking as a trainer. Which of the following is considered hypertension? 110, 120, 130, or 140? The correct answer would be 140 is hypertension. Which of the following is an undesirable body fat percentage for males? 18, 19, 20, or 21? Above 20 is considered undesirable for males. Above 30 for females. So the answer for this one would be 21%. Which of the following would be a contraindication discovered during the health risk assessment? Your client smokes a pack of cigarettes per day. Your client's mother passed away from a heart attack at age 50. Your client has experienced angina within the past three days. Your client has leg pain due to a recent increase in soccer play. Smoking is not a concern. Passing away of your mother sucks, but that's not a concern. Leg pain is a concern 
if it was from a sedentary individual, the fact that they're playing soccer, that's normal. It's probably just some DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. If your client has chest pain, also referred to as angina, that is definitely a contraindication. You want to refer out to a medical professional. If they had a resting heart rate greater than 100 or any metabolic, cardiac, or pulmonary disease, refer out to a professional. Alrighty, let's get into chapter 13, optimal performance training module, that is the OPT, three levels, five phases. We have stabilization, we have strength, and then we have power. Within strength, we have three phases. Phase two is strength endurance, phase three is muscular development, phase four is maximal strength. Please don't ever say muscular development, it's referred to as hypertrophy, that's how you're going to put some size on I will go over this a few times because you need to know the acute variables within the OPT model. That's going to be the tempo, the rest, and the intensity. Stabilization. Anything unstable. BOSU balls, stability balls, NASM gets off on this stuff. So you got to choose that answer when it comes to phase one of the OPT model. We have a 4-2-1-1 tempo. Four is the eccentric, two is isometric, the first one is concentric, and the last one is isometric. We are resting for zero to 90 seconds with an intensity of 50 to 70%. Phase two, we have supersets. All you need to know is it's stable to unstable. So a bench press into a push-up, a pull-up into a TRX row, a squat into a step-up. The first exercise is gonna be stable, the second one is unstable, essentially anything phase one. Muscular development is phase three, six to 12 repetitions. Hypertrophy is the correct name. Two zero two zero tempo with zero to 60 seconds rest, 75 to 85%. Phase four, maximal strength, one to five reps, 85 to 100%. The tempo is XXXX. Do not, I repeat, do not type that into the Google machine you will get some weird stuff and probably slapped by your significant other. I once had a student do that. So the tempo is XXX, it's fast and controlled, two to five minutes of rest. Phase five, we also have supersets, but it's going to be heavy into explosive. So a bench press into a plyo pushup, a jump into a squat, a ball slam into a heavy row. One to five repetitions for the first one, and the second one will be explosive with a 30 to 45% of your 1RM or 10% of your body weight. 1RM means repetition maximum. 100% is a 1RM. 5 is 85%. 10 is 75%. 20 is 50%. These are the acute variables within the OPT model. You need to know those like the back of your hand. Listen to that one a few different times. I will go over it again. The difference between phase two and phase five, they're both supersets, which is the same muscle back to back, but one is explosive, that's phase five, whereas the other one is going to have unstable, which will be phase two. Here are some questions that you would see. What is the most common plane of motion that people tend to train in? Sagittal, frontal, transverse, or coronal? Coronal is another name for frontal plane of motion, which is going to be A, B, and adduction. So you can cross both of those off. Transverse is rotational, and that's where most people get hurt. The correct answer would be sagittal. Which of the following is the main purpose of phase one stabilization? Hypertrophy, 
improve imbalances in techniques, increase prime mover strength, improve rate of force production? The correct answer would be C, improve imbalances in techniques. Anytime you see stability or unstable, that's going to be phase one. You stay there for a month and then you go into strength for a month. You choose one of the phases for a month and then you can move into power. So for example, phase one for a month, and that's where you're going to improve imbalances, strengthen connective tissue, focus on movement competency, which is doing the proper form. And then you go to phase two, which is supersets. You stay there for a month and then you can go to phase three for a month and then phase four for a month. And then you can go to phase five. You could also go phase one into phase three into phase five. You cannot go from phase one to phase five. Anytime you see proprioceptive enriched environment, that answer most likely will be phase one. Anything that is improved rate of force production, that's going to be phases four or five. What is an example of a superset in phase two of the OPT model? A bench press into a chin-up, a bench press into a chest fly, a bench press into a med ball throw, a bench press into a push-up. Answers B, C, and D are all supersets according to NASM. A would not be a superset because it's an agonist into an antagonist, so your chest into your back, so you can cross that one off. A bench press into a chest fly technically is a superset, but the chest fly is stable, therefore would not be phase two. Bench press into a med ball throw would be phase five. The correct answer would be a bench press into a push-up. What is an example of a superset in phase five of the OPT model? A squat into a step-up, a bench press into a chin-up, a bench press into a push-up, or a squat into a jump. The correct answer would be a squat into a jump because of the explosive aspect. Which phase of the OPT model is common for strongman competitions and football linemen? Phase one, two, three, or four? The correct answer would be phase four. Chapter 14, the only thing you're really going to see from this one Delayed onset muscle soreness, DOMS. It's the discomfort that happens one to three days prior to working out, 24 to 72 hours. It is not because of lactic acid. That is an old school myth that has been debunked numerous times. So it is mechanical and chemical damage which is causing that discomfort. Self-myofascial release, SMR, compresses the myofascial mechanically or stimulates the mechanoreceptors and nociceptors which is a neurological and a neurophysiological response, which is why we hold for 30 seconds and it will relax due to autogenic inhibition. So just think of SMR, we're foam rolling a tight muscle, the fascia, which if you think of a sausage link, it's what encompasses the whole thing. It's being released because there's a neurological factor via autogenic inhibition. Do not foam roll anyone who has hypertension, high blood pressure, cancer, osteoporosis, open wounds, which is common for type 1 and 2 diabetics, or pregnant ladies. Those are contraindicated for people who want to foam roll. Do not foam roll those individuals. Static stretching is a form of reciprocal inhibition, one to three sets for 30 seconds. Active isolate stretching, one to two second holds via reciprocal inhibition. So if I were to touch my right foot with my left hand, one to two seconds, and I come back to a standing position. Then I go my right hand to my left foot, one to two seconds, and I come back up, alternating back and forth. That's an example of active isolate, and we would do that in phases two, three, and four. Dynamic stretching is used in phase five. 
All phases of the OPT model include SMR. That is why if you don't foam roll, you will die. You do it for 20, 30, 40 seconds, and then if you're in phase one, you static stretch for 20 to 30 seconds. If you're in phases two, three, or four, you would implement active isolate stretching for one to two seconds. If you're in phase five, you would do a dynamic stretch, which is a sport-specific exercise like a prisoner squat, multi-planar lunges, or some type of rotations. Which of the following states that prolonged Golgi tendon organ stimulation inhibits the muscle spindle of the same muscle? Autogenic inhibition, reciprocal inhibition, excitation inhibition, facilitation inhibition. Remember, do not choose answers that have a word that you have not seen before. Excitation and facilitation are words I've not mentioned. Reciprocal inhibition, think of math, it's the opposite. So when I do a bicep curl, my biceps are the agonist. The reciprocal muscle or the antagonist would be my triceps. So the reciprocal muscle is being inhibited. The correct answer for this one would be autogenic inhibition. The word same muscle, think of auto. That's where you want to refer to it as. Autogenic inhibition, you'll always see same muscle. The tendency of the body to seek the path of least resistance during functional movement patterns is called muscle imbalance postural distortion patterns, altered reciprocal inhibition, or relative flexibility. That is one of the flashcards that we told you to do in the beginning. The definition of that is relative flexibility. A tight psoas decreasing neural drive of the gluteus maximus is an example of what? Synergistic dominance, autogenic inhibition, altered reciprocal inhibition, arthrokinetic dysfunction. The answer would be altered reciprocal inhibition. When I have that synergistic dominance takes over because my hamstrings, which is arthrokinetic dysfunction. So I'm not able to move properly because of altered reciprocal inhibition. How many repetitions are performed during an active stretch? One to three, three to five, five to 10, or 10 plus? The correct answer would be five to 10. Chapter 15. We're getting there, folks. Hang in there. I know I got to get some whiskey in me because when I go through this, I just want to slam my head into a table. It's amazing that people actually think this stuff is scientific. Unfortunately, you can't get a refund. You came across show up fitness a little too late, so you got to pass it. So go get yourself a whiskey Coke like I'm having right now and get through this ASAP. I'm not really drinking. Or am I? Low intensity, 150 minutes. High intensity, 75 minutes. So that's what the average person needs to be doing per week. Fit, F-I-T-T-E. Frequency, intensity, time, type, enjoyment. And then we have volume and progression. The Tanaka formula, that's going to be 208 minus 0.7 times your age. Remember, Tanaka is 208. Fartlek training, I'm not joking, is a type of speed play. So you'd run 100 meters on a track and then you'd walk 100 meters. That's referred to as fartlek training. The word fart in Swedish is speed and lek, L-E-K, is play. It's referred to as speed play. The Tanaka formula is a mathematical formula used to estimate an individual maximal heart rate using which the following formulas. 208 minus 0.7 times age, 208 minus 0.65 times age, 220 minus age times 0. 0.65, 220 minus age times 0. 0.7. So Tanaka is 208 with 0. 0.7 as the answer. All the following are benefits of a cool down except gradually cooling down the body temperature, 
encourages venous pooling of blood in the lower extremities, reduce heart rate and breathing rates, restore physiological systems close to baseline. You would think this would be a super easy answer. A lot of people would probably miss it. When in doubt, go with your gut. Encourage venous pooling of blood in the lower extremities. That would be the answer. The physical activity guidelines recommends adults should accumulate 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity every week or A, 30 minutes of vigorous intensity, B, 75 minutes of vigorous intensity, C, 95 minutes, or D, 120 minutes. The correct answer would be B, 75 minutes of vigorous. Low intensity is 150 minutes. What does the P stand for within FIT-VP? Periodization, programming, progression, or perturbation. Periodization is broken up into three phases. We have micro, which is small, meso, mes in Spanish is month, and then the large is macro. Programming is not the answer. Perturbations are tapping your client to challenge their body position and proprioception. The correct answer for the P within FIT, VP, is progression. Which stage of NASM's cardiorespiratory training program consists of sports-specific training for most athletes? Stage 2, stage 3, stage 4, or stage 5? The correct answer would be D, stage 5. Chapter 16 is really just distinguishing the difference between type 1 and type 2 muscle fibers. Type 1 are going to be aerobic, smaller, and more endurance. More stabilizers like your rotator cuff muscles, deep and proximal as well. Rotator cuff, biceps, calves, neck muscles. My biceps are more type 2, but that's not what they're asking. Drawing in technique can be seen during exercise marching. So if you are on your back in a supine position, prone is going to be like a plank. Supine is open up. Prone is knuckles up. Supine is you're holding a cup. So when you are marching, and so it's a bridge example. So if you were to hinge up on your back and then you just have one leg go back and forth, that's called marching. And you would do that with the drawing in technique, which is pulling your stomach away from your shirt. Bracing is the co-contraction of the core. For the stabilization exercises, there's no spinal movement. For example, a prone isoab, a plank, or a bridge position lifting the legs, which is called marching. Strength exercises, there'll be slight spinal movement, such as a reverse crunch. And then power exercise is going to include you throwing something like a med ball throw. So they're always going to have three parts when you look at balance, when you look at core, when you look at plyometrics. Is it stabilization? Is it strength or is it power? I think an easy way to remember this is stabilization is for beginners. Strength is your main lifts and movements that most of us would be doing in the gym. Power is going to be more for athletes. Remember that during your cable rotations, which is a strength exercise, the end final leg position is referred to as triple extension because your hips are extended from your glutes and your hamstrings, your knee is extended, and then you also have ankle extension, which is called plantar flexion. During the floor bridge, your clients need to be cautious of going too fast, going too slow, hyperextending the low back, or placing the toes in the air. That's perfectly okay to do for any type of bridge or hip thrust, placing the toes in the air. Going too fast, going too slow, it's all relative. The correct answer for this one, you need to be cautious of hyperextending the low back. 
The core stabilizers are made up of primarily what type of muscle fibers? Type 1, type 2A, type 2X, or type 2AB? The correct answer would be type 1, which are going to be more stabilization. Type 2X are the big powerful ones. Which of the following is an example of a local muscle? This is a very advanced question. You would not see this. But just remember, local is going to be more type 1, smaller muscles. Quadratus lumborum, rectus abdominals, latissimus dorsi, or your rectus spinae. Those are all overactive muscles. The rectus abdominals, latissimus dorsi, and the rectus spinae. The quadratus lumborum is a deep local type 1 muscle. For chapter 17, you need to know that the vestibular system is challenging balance. So anytime you hear balance associated with the vestibular system and proprioception, proprioceptive enriched environment will always be stabilization. These are balance variations now. Stabilization, no spinal movement, such as the balance reach. You just stand on one leg and you reach with the opposite toe. Strength exercises will have slight spinal movement, such as a single leg squat, also referred to as the pistol squat. Power exercises will have spinal movement, but you're changing your base of support, such as ice skaters or a side jump. Stabilization, balance reach, strength, single leg squat, power, side jumps. Anything that has a BOSU ball is going to be the most progressed balance exercise. And BOSU balls are just pretty stupid. Unless you had a lower body injury like an ankle sprain. Fun little factoid, I was blocked by the founder of BOSU ball. Balance is an example of blank and blank. Answer A, dynamic and neuromuscular efficiency. B, static and dynamic. C, neuromuscular and poor. D, dynamic and proprioceptive. Balance is an example of dynamic and neuromuscular efficiency. The proper progression from an Eric's pad is to a blank. Half foam roll, balance beam, single leg, or BOSU ball. When in doubt, go with the BOSU ball. Eric's pad is just a very thin, like soft pillow. So to progress, you would go to a BOSU ball. Which of the following is the key senses for balance? Vestibular, digestive, cardiorespiratory, or reactive. The vestibular system includes your inner ear with the incus, malus, and stapes, which are the smallest bones of the human body. If you ever have a client who has vertigo, that is an inflammatory issue inside the inner ear. So this fluid gets altered and it's messing with the little hairs, what are called cilia, and that's referred to as the vestibular system. You will not see much on SAQ. Do not, I repeat, do not get the PES. NASM did a wonderful job of recognizing a glaring weakness in the strength and conditioning market. Or if you want to get the gold standard, which is called the CSCS, which we teach and can help people pass it in two months. It's a very prestigious certification, but you need a college degree. And in 2030, you need to have a strength and conditioning background in kinesiology. So there's a lot of people that want to learn more about plyometrics and programming. So NASM created the PES, which is a take-home exam with reading a textbook. It is a joke. Do not get that, and please do not put that into your Instagram bio. You get no respect for having a NASM CPT, NASM CES, NASM PES. It just shows educated individuals that you are insecure. You are a trainer. Remember that. You're a trainer. I'm a trainer. I'd much rather see trainer-hunk or hunkette. 
versus your 15 acronyms of certifications that just show that you're insecure. Not once in my 20 years of training has a client ever asked, Chris, what certifications do you have? It's in the delivery of your product and in helping people get the results safely. So this chapter, you're not going to have much on. Know that reactive training is used interchangeably with plyometric. So reactive plyometric phase five. Stabilization plyo exercises are going to be the squat jumps with stabilization. You hold for three to five seconds. Squat jumps are in the strength portion. And the power plyos are going to be ice skaters or lateral jumps. We have three phases, which are going to be eccentric, amortization, which is extremely short, and then concentric, which is explosive. The definition of quickness is the ability to react in all three planes of motion. Agility is the ability to accelerate and decelerate as fast as possible. Backside mechanics, triple extension. Frontside mechanics or triple flexion. You will always remain with a neutral neck and pelvis. A power clean or clean and press is a power exercise, phase five. Youth populations should play red light, green light in games like that, whereas elderly should do like a stand-up to figure eight. Definitely will see one of those questions. A stabilization workout would be like a stability ball, squat, curl, press. I have to laugh reading that because it's just, you would never do that with a client. Stability ball, chest press, stability ball, row, single leg scaption, and a leg press. That is the program for phase one. Don't ever do that with a client unless you want to lose clients and potentially hurt them because if the majority of our clients are overweight to obese and not competent in movement and you put them on a stability ball to do a squat and then you do a chest press, then you have them stand on one leg and do a single leg scaption for your shoulders, your clients are going to feel like they're at a circus and they're not going to sign up with you. I guarantee it. It's funny. I was consulting with one of our show up fitness CPTs who got hired at Equinox and he was saying that he did an assessment with someone and they said that the reason they didn't work with that last trainer is because they're having him do all these exercises on stability balls and BOSU balls and they felt like they're in the circus. Learn how to program and your life as a trainer will be so much easier and you will be able to turn your passion for fitness into a career. Core core accessory, show up fitness programming will change your life. I guarantee you in one week you will learn more than this entire textbook. We have a money back guarantee That's how confident we are in our systems because we're going to teach you anatomy, how to program, and how to assess clients properly so you sign them up at a 50 plus percent rate, not industry standard of 20 to 30 percent. If your client were to be performing five sets of three jumps, what is the total volume for that exercise? 10, 15, 20, or 8? The correct answer would be 15. You multiply the sets by the work being done. Five times three for you math stars is 15 repetitions. During phase one of the OPT model, which of the following training systems is most appropriate? Vertical loading, supersets, drop sets, or horizontal loading? The reason we put this in here because phase one is vertical loading, which is just a very large circuit. A superset is back-to-back, same muscle. A drop set is typically five to 10 pounds of a decrease in weight. So if I'm doing a bench press 135, that's the bar and a 45 on each side. You would then drop it five pounds per side. Horizontal loading is just referred to as a straight set. You do one set of bench press, rest for one minute, which would be for phase three, add some weight and repeat. That is referred to as horizontal loading. Which of the following is an example of a superset in phase two of the OPT model? Bench press into a chest fly, squats into a jump, 
chest fly into a push-up or a bench press into a push-up. Done this one a few different times just to get it into your head. Same muscle back to back. Phase two is going to have unstable or something that's really going to engage the core. Phase five is going to have a plyometric as we saw in the answer B. Squats into a jump would be the answer if this was for phase five, but this is for phase two. So the correct answer would be bench press into a push-up. We are almost there. And when we do get to the end of the chapters, we will have a bunch of questions where I'm going to read them off for you and just give you the answer to hammer it into your brain. Chapter 20, General Adaptation Syndrome. Dr. Hans Seeley discovered this in an organism which is specific to stress and how we adapt to a stressor. We have the little alarm and then we have resistance and then we're going to have exhaustion. What is the definition of power? Work over speed, work times time, force times velocity, or force over velocity. The definition of power is force times velocity or force times distance over time. Your client has high blood pressure, which the following training systems would be most appropriate. A drop set, 1RM bench press, supersets, or peripheral heart action, PHA. Peripheral heart action is doing an upper body to a lower body, and it's been shown to be the best for clients who have high blood pressure. That would be the answer. How do you spot someone doing a military press? By the wrists, the elbow, wrist and elbow, or none of these. The textbook answer is always going to be wrist because it prevents elbow collapse. In real life, the answer would be wrist and elbow, depending on the load the client is using. So if I'm spotting someone who has 80 pounds in each hand, I'm going to start by the elbows and then move to the wrist. It's important not to allow the weights to collapse on your client's head, and that is why you want to spot at the wrists. Chapter 21 is really important. We've already covered a lot of it within the OPT model. Remember, we warm up for 5 or 10 minutes. We cool down for 5 or 10 minutes. We're going to do some type of foam rolling and do either a static stretch for phase 1, active isolate for phase 2, 3, and 4, dynamic for phase 5. You would then get into plyos, plyometrics, and speed agility and quickness next, and then you're going to get into the resistance training portion. At the end, you would then cool down for 5 or 10 minutes. Muscles engaged during a squat, the quads at the knee, the glutes at the hips. The muscles engaged during a hinge, it's going to be a hip extension, so your glutes and your hamstrings. Muscles engaged during a pulling pattern, your back and biceps, your traps, because of extension and retraction. Retraction is when the scapula comes together. Protraction is when the scapulas go away. Think of doing a row and retraction. A press is going to be scapular protraction. When I do a press or a push, the chest and the triceps are engaged. And you're pushing overhead, also referred to as a press. That's going to be your deltoids and your triceps. You need to know the main engaged muscles for a push, a press, a pull, the squat, and the hinge. As I did earlier with the overactive, underactive, I'm going to go through quickly each phase of the OPT model and the acute variables because that's how important it is. Starting off on phase one, stabilization endurance. A 4-2-1-1 tempo, the 4 being eccentric, the first 2 being isometric, 1 being concentric, and the last 1 being isometric. Resting 0 to 90 seconds. Vertical loading is taking place for 1 to 3 sets, 50 to 70% intensity. You'll stay there for a month. You're going to correct imbalances, strengthen ligaments and tendons, anything associated with proprioceptive and neuromuscular efficiency. 
You move into phase two, which is called strength endurance. This is a superset, two exercises back to back without any rest, a bench press into a push-up, a squat into a step-up, a pull-up into a single arm row, military press into scaption. Scaption is a NASM term for shoulder stabilizing exercise. Phase three, muscular development, also known as hypertrophy. 2-0, tempo with zero to 60 seconds of rest. You'll be doing horizontal loading, which is just a straight set. Three to six sets, 75 to 85%. It's important to know that hypertrophy is about adding size, which is the opposite of atrophy, which means to decrease the size of a muscle fiber. Phase four, we're going to be maximal strength. The tempo is XXX with three to five minutes of rest, horizontal loading, three to five sets, 85 to 100% with the purpose being to optimize rate of force. In the last phase, phase five, also supersets, where the first exercise is going to be heavy and the second one is going to be explosive. One to five reps for strength, one to 10 reps for power, 10% of body weight. So an example would be bench press into a plyo push-up, a pull-up into a ball slam, or a squat into a jump. We will be resting three to five minutes and three to six sets are performed. Which phase of the OPT model uses a superset combination with a squat, you rest for one minute into an ice skater? Stabilization, hypertrophy, strength, or power? The answer would be D, power. Which phase of the OPT model uses an XXXX tempo? Stabilization, max strength, hypertrophy, or endurance? The correct answer would be maximal strength. That is going to be using an XXXX tempo. Which phase of the OPT model uses 0 to 60 second rest period? Stabilization, muscular development, maximal strength, or power? For muscular development, according to NASM, that would be a 0 to 60 second rest period. Which of the following model uses a 2020 tempo? Stabilization, muscular development, power, or none of the above? 2020 would be hypertrophy or muscular development. Which phase of the OPT model uses a superset combo? Bench press into a push up. Stabilization, strength endurance, hypertrophy, or maximal strength? That's going to be strength endurance or phase two. Which phase of the OPT model is a hybrid form of training that promotes increased stabilization, endurance, hypertrophy, and strength by using superset techniques in which a more stable exercise is immediately followed with a stabilization exercise with similar biomechanical motions. That is a very long-winded question, and that is phase two of the OPT model, strength endurance training. We have two chapters left, but you're not going to be tested, if at all, in these ones. Know that a payoff exercise is anti-rotation, and a TRX is a RIP trainer, an asymmetrical resistance exercise. That's all you need to know. Don't go through that. During phase one of the OPT model, which of the following training systems is most appropriate? Vertical loading, supersets, drop sets, or horizontal loading? We are on the final leg. We're going to go over roughly 100 questions. I'm going to read the question and just give you the answer. For some of them, I will give an explanation. This is going to be the holy grail to see if you're ready for the NASM 
7th edition CPT so you can take that photo and say, hey, look at me. I now have imposter syndrome because I did not learn how to become a trainer. That's what Show Up Fitness does. And if you do a YouTube on how awesome Show Up Fitness is, we'll give you a week free of the online CPT, which we have a money-back guarantee. You will learn more with our CPT than any textbook certification. Money-back guarantee. So let's get into these questions. Number one, according to research, endurance is best achieved by performing what number of repetitions between 50 to 70% of the 1RM? This is going to be 12 to 20. 1 to 5 is called strength. 6 to 12 is referred to as hypertrophy. Hypertrophy is the zone you want to be in if you want to add size. What muscles are most likely tight or overactive if a client demonstrates an arching low back during the overhead squat assessment? Your mind should be thinking overactive, top five, adductors, hip flexors, gastrocnemius, lats, pec major. With that being said, the answers only have one, which is going to be hip flexors. The transverse abdominis, gluteus maximus, and multifidi muscles are all underactive. The four P's of marketing include all the following except plan. The four P's of marketing are product, place, price, and promotion. Don't forget about the important one with parking. A proprioceptively enriched environment challenges an individual's internal balance and stabilization. Remember, anytime you see proprioceptive enriched environment, always go to phase one, which is going to be some type of stabilization. Maximal output would be phase five. What are smaller chambers located superior on either side of the heart that gather blood returning to the heart, much like a reservoir? Superior are the atriums. Which of the following is not a testing site for body fat, according to the Durham Wormsley? Remember the four sites, biceps, triceps, suprailiac, subscapularis. So you're looking for anything that would not be, and that would be your thigh or your glutes. What muscles are most likely overactive and should be stretched when an athlete exhibits an excessive forward lean? Overactive, find the ones that are tight, such as your soleus, gastrocnemius, hip flexor complex, and the abdominal complex. We are really testing the new audio that we have from a student. We may have some background noise because I'm right outside of Sunset Boulevard at our West Hollywood location where we have in person for two months. We also have weekend seminars hands-on learning to help you become a successful personal trainer. What are the three stages of general adaptation syndrome? Remember the stress response. You're going to have an alarm, resistance development, and exhaustion. Let me give you an example of what that is like, and I love to do this at seminars. Ah! Hopefully I just scared the shit out of you. Your blood pressure spiked. Your catecholamines have been released from your adrenal glands. You have epinephrine flaring through your blood right now and your heart rate is pounding through your chest. That is the alarm. You will maintain this environment for a very short period and you will begin to build a resistance. That means that your parasympathetic hormones will counter that 
antagonistic hormones will be released, such as norepinephrine, and your heart rate and blood pressure will begin to drop, and that is the resistance portion. Now, if you were always in that alarm state, sooner or later, you would, if you were always in that alarm state, you would sooner or later come to a point of exhaustion. The best things to help offset exhaustion, optimal sleep, seven to eight hours, making sure to avoid caffeine after about two o'clock if your goal is to go to bed between eight and 10. The half-life of caffeine is roughly eight hours. That means if you consume 100 milligrams of caffeine at 12, eight hours later, you will still have 50 milligrams floating throughout your body. So it's best, pending on your sensitivity with caffeine, to make sure to eliminate it before bed. When the nervous system properly recruits the correct muscles to produce force, reduce force, and dynamically stabilize the body's structures in all three planes of motion, this is an example of neuromuscular efficiency. This answer would be very easy because serial distortion patterns, structural efficiency, Equilibrium patterns are not things that I've discussed. Do not choose an answer you've never seen or heard before. Question number 10. Which of the following is not a key predictor of exercise participation and adherence? The popularity of chain. The principle of blank indicates that a synergist muscle will substitute for a prime mover exhibiting a decrease in neural drive. Synergistic dominance. Which stage of change has zero temptation to engage in the old behavior and you exhibit 100% self-efficacy in all previous tempting situations? Termination. What muscles are most likely weak if a client demonstrates the knees moving inward during the overhead squat assessment? Your mind should go glute max, med, min, or the VMO. Correct answer is the gluteus medius. People in this stage of change do not exercise but are thinking about becoming more active in the next six months. Contemplation. If a client demonstrates the knees that cave in during the overhead squat assessment, what muscles are most likely tight or overactive? The adductor complex. That's exactly how the test is going to be. You're going to have one question asking about an underactive muscle and then you're going to get something along the lines of OPT model, cardio, or nutrition. And then you'll have another question that's pretty much asking the same thing, but just the opposite. It's asking for an overactive. Or what muscle do you need to stretch, which means it's overactive. Or which muscle do you need to train, which means that's the weak muscle. And so in this example, it can really mess with your mind because you're thinking, oh gosh, did I choose the wrong one before? And then that's where you're going to get that stress response. You're going to be releasing cortisol, which is a catabolic hormone, and it blunts and affects memory. So the most important thing you can do while you're taking the exam is ask yourself, what would Chris do? And he would laugh because this test is not going to make you a great trainer. So you need to take a really big, deep breath and go, you know what? I'm a fucking awesome person. This test does not define who I am, but I am going to pass it because I used Show Up Fitness and they've helped thousands of people pass it. Take that big deep breath. Tell yourself that you are a hunk or hunkette. 
now you're going to have those positive anabolic hormones flowing through your body like testosterone, which is going to scare cortisol. And then you're going to have that confidence say, you know what? Chris is right. I am going to pass that. I'm going with my gut. The answer is the adductor complex. On to the next one. Connected tissue, such as tendons and ligaments, do not repair easily because they're avascular. Vascularity, the prefix A means without. The concept of blank states that prolonged Golgi tendon organ stimulation inhibits muscle spindles of the same muscle. Anytime you see same muscle, it's going to be autogenic inhibition. The examples also are facilitation inhibition and excitation inhibition, which we've not talked about. Do not choose those. The other answer was reciprocal inhibition, but that is the opposite. When I do a bicep curl, my elbow flexors are the agonist. My elbow extensors, which are the triceps, are the reciprocal muscle. Reciprocal inhibition is the opposite. What form of flexibility applies gentle force to an adhesion or not, altering the elastic muscle fibers from a bundled position into straighter alignment with the direction of the muscle force or fascia? And that is your self-myofascia release, SMR. Active isolate is 1 to 2 second holds. Static is 20 to 30 seconds. Functional flexibility is used in phase 5. And that is sports-specific warm-ups, such as lunges with rotations or prisoner squats. Obesity is a condition of being considerably overweight and refers to a person with a body mass index of greater than 30. Don't get confused with choosing 25 to 29.9. That is overweight. Obesity is greater than 30. We are such a soft nation today. They probably won't even put that because obesity is now a term that offends everyone. So you could probably even forget everything about that. The tendency of the body to seek the path of least resistance during functional movement patterns. Your brain should automatically go relative flexibility because we've said that three different times throughout this test. If a client demonstrates their heels coming off the ground during the overhead squat, which muscles are most likely overactive? If their heels are coming off the ground, that's going to be posterior chain, type 1 muscle fibers, your soleus and your gastrocnemius. Fun little factoid, both of those go into your Achilles tendon, which connects to your calcaneus heel bone. The story of Achilles in Greek mythology, his mother held him into the river of Styx, which is a mortal, and he would live forever minus his Achilles. So then in Troy, Orlando Bloom shot him in the ankle and he died. True story, 100%. Next, according to NASM, which of the following is a performance test? The answers are A and B the left test, and long jump. The reason we put this on the test is to show you that these are, in fact, performance tests, L-E-F-T, left test, and the long jump. The YMCA step test is cardio, and body fat calipers are a resting measurement test. You would not see this type of answer on the NASM CPT because you're only going to see four answers. Which of the following is a process created to produce internalized experiences to support or enhance exercise participation? Exercise imagery. 
Which of the following is a beneficial adaptation to cardiorespiratory exercise? Decrease the resting heart rate. What percent of the U.S. population is estimated not to engage in 30 minutes of low to moderate physical activity? Unfortunately, this number is probably fairly low. The answer is 75%. By 2030, we're projected to be over 80% with more coming from obesity versus overweight. During COVID-19, the average American put on 33 pounds. Qualified personal trainers are high in demand. People need you, but they need quality. And to be a confident trainer, you need competence. And how do you become competent? Supervision, asking questions, anatomy, programming, all things that textbooks will not test you on. That's where you got to show up. Show up fitness, changing the fitness industry with the best certification in fitness. Type 2 diabetes is associated with obesity, particular abdominal obesity. And this accounts for blank to blank percent of all diabetics, 90 to 95%. 5 to 10% are type 1 diabetics, which are referred to as insulin dependent. Type 2 diabetics are insulin resistant. Because of our dietary intake and being in a surplus, a lack of sleep, high stress, and overconsumption of highly processed and highly caloric foods, our cells do not recognize insulin. Insulin is an anabolic hormone that takes glucose out of the bloodstream and puts it into its respected places, such as your liver, your muscle, as the storage form called glycogen, But if your liver and muscle glycogen are full, we will then store as fat, as an adipocyte cell. What muscles are possibly tight if a client's feet turn out during the overhead squat assessment? The lateral gastrocnemius. This is a tricky one because technically gastrocnemius would be the answer, but sometimes you may see an emphasis on the lateral portion whereas the medial gastroc would be underactive. The question I stated before about your heels coming off the ground, I thought it would be helpful for you to to hear of a couple examples that may help the client versus foam rolling would be putting a couple of textbooks such as your NASM CPT or some five-pound plates under your client's heels. What this does is it helps create artificial dorsiflexion And a lot of times if a client doesn't have the prerequisites of about 15 degrees of dorsiflexion, it's challenging to get down into that deep squat. We don't like to scare clients by saying, oh, this is overactive or you have dysfunction or you have asymmetry. That really messes with their mind. Think about the courage that it takes for someone who's overweight to obese to go to a fitness professional and to get some guidance. Where are the weirdos right now, I would bet you my belt buckle, that within reach you have a water bottle. You probably have pre-cooked your meals and have already worked out today. You probably are wearing gym clothes. Our clients think we're lunatics. They have soda for lunch. They have fast food for dinner. They're sleeping four or five hours. They're highly caffeinated. Stress is through the roof. 
We are what the average American should be doing. But you need to remember that 80 plus percent are not doing that. And so we're looked at as the weirdos. And so to go to the fitness professional and have them start checking off all the ways that you're considered dysfunctional, it's really going to mess with your mind. And we got to reflect and think about why we're doing this. It's to help people. And you can't just smack someone on the hand and say, you're a bad boy for having some cupcakes or you have a tight lateral gastrocnemius. Do you really think someone's going to sign up with you and pay you three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000? Absolutely not. They're looking for a friend. They're looking for a coach to give them that motivation to be empathetic. And that's what you need to do. We need to get away from these fear-mongering tactics and really get to the why of the client. You should read the book, Start With Why. Stuart Sinek, we have a book club every Wednesday. Even if you think show up fitness is weird, the belt buckle personality, the guy's an asshole, that's fine. We have other instructors that will help take your mindset to a different level. We have weekly book club calls, and we just talk about life and critically think. You are the circumference of your five closest friends. And if you're not hanging around people who motivate you to become better, if they're not waking up early, if they're not helping people regularly and coming up with really creative, innovative ideas, you need to rethink who you're hanging out with. A tight psoas decreases neural drive to the gluteus maximus is an example of what? Altered reciprocal inhibition. Approximately how many amino acids does the body use? 20. 11 are non-essential, 9 are essential. The formation of glucose from a non-carbohydrate source, such as amino acids, is called gluconeogenesis. According to research, hypertrophy is best achieved training what percent of 1RM? 75 to 85%. The blank is the primary pacemaker of the heart, the SA node. The other node is called the AV node or the atrial ventricle node. The ability to react and change body positions with maximal rate of force production in all planes of motion from all body positions during functional activities is known as, that's quickness. Power is force times velocity. Agility is the ability to accelerate and decelerate. And speed is maximal linear velocity. Which of the following is an example of a total body exercise? Barbell clean. I'm going to go over some of these other exercises to help you know where they would go within the OPT model. You have phase one, which is stabilization. Phases two, three, and four, which are going to be strength. Remember, two is a superset. And then phase five is power, which is also a superset, but you would have something like a barbell clean. So a ball dumbbell cobra. When you see the word ball, always go to stabilization. Bench press. That's going to be strength, recruiting the pectoralis major as the agonist. The synergist would be your triceps. Single leg squat touchdown would be in the strength portion for balance. Remember, if the leg is going through a concentric and eccentric motion, it would be strength. If there's no movement, such as the opposite leg touching, then it would be stabilization. When you change the base of support, that's going to be power. So if you were to hop from your left to right leg, 
If you stand on one leg with your knee at 90 degrees, that's referred to as front side mechanics with triple flexion, back side mechanics or triple extension. What muscles are possibly weak if a client's feet flatten during the overhead squat assessment? Your anterior tibialis, primarily a type 1 muscle fiber. Remember, type 1 muscle fibers have a lot of blood flow, oxidation, fat utilization, and are slow twitch. When performing the overhead squat assessment, how many repetitions should the client complete? The answer is five anteriorly, five laterally in both sides, and then five posteriorly for a total of 20. Hypertension is defined as blood pressure greater than 140 over 90. Which of the following assessments best measures cardiovascular efficiency? A 1.5 mile run, a bioelectrical impedance analysis, also called BIA, is the handheld device that you would use to test your body fat percentage, which is fairly accurate with a 3 to 5% error, as well as the calipers. The gold standards are called the BOD pod, as well as hydrostatic testing, which is the water, and that's performed in a laboratory setting. BIA, you need to be careful if you have a pacemaker in because it is an electrical signal that is being sent. The Davies test is an upper body agility. Shark skill test is lower body agility. Which of the following best describes a length tension relationship? The length at which a muscle can produce greatest force. Here's an example of how you can see what this means by taking your hand and making a fist. That is the length at which both muscles, the agonist and the antagonist, can produce the greatest force. If you were to flex your wrist and put your opposite hand on top and press down and then try to make a really tight fist, you cannot do that. The opposite would be opening your hand up or extending and then pushing on your, where your calluses are because you work out like I do. Now try to make a tight fist. You can't do it either. Where can you make the tightest fist? That is clenching your fist neutral position. Muscle spindles are sensitive to a change in muscle length and the rate at which length changes. When performing the single leg squat, what checkpoints should be observed? The knees. Which phase of the OPT model supersets a barbell bench press and a medicine ball chest pass? Because there's a pass, you need to think phase five. If it were to say a BOSU ball or an unstable stability surface, then the answer would be phase two. Which of the following is an example of a back strength exercise? A pull-up or a chin-up. A single arm cable row would be stabilization. A single leg cable row would be stabilization. Soccer throw would be power. The agonist for a row is your latissimus dorsi. The synergist is your biceps brachii. Which of the following is the proper intensity for a client in phase five of the OPT model? 30 to 45% of your 1RM. Remember, phase five has a superset power and then strength. 
Strength is 85 to 100% of your 1RM. The core is defined as which of the following? Your lumbo-pelvic hip complex, LPHC. When using medicine balls for their explosive power capabilities, high-velocity movements will require blank. A lighter ball, generally less than 10% of an individual's body weight. The core stabilizers are made up of primarily what type of muscle fiber? Type 1. Type 2X are the fast explosive ones. The storage form of carbohydrates is called glycogen. Amino acids are the basic unit for protein. Fatty acids are the basic unit for fat. Monosaccharides are the basic unit for carbohydrates. Fructose, glucose, and galactose are the monosaccharides, of which glucose is stored as glycogen in your muscle and liver. Which of the following is an example of a closed-chain exercise? Remember, the most distal regions should not move. Squats. Which energy system creates ATP from a phosphocreatine molecule? ATPPC. Glycolysis is moderate intensity and moderate duration. Anything longer than three minutes would be the Krebs cycle because it requires oxygen, also referred to as oxidation. We produce more ATP with oxidation. We produce a greater rate with the phosphocreatine, ATPPC. It's always about duration and intensity when it comes to bioenergetics. Think of a long jumper, basketball player, soccer, volleyball player. Those are type 2 individuals. Type 1 individuals will be rowers, swimmers, and marathon runners. The reverse crunch is considered what type of core exercise? Core strength. The spine is moving. Core stability. The spine would not move like a prone iso ab or a plank or a bird dog or a dead bug. A core power would be taking a med ball and throwing it or some type of rotation. Which of the following is not true regarding reactive training? It's not true that it increases your resting heart rate. A rotation chest pass is considered what type of exercise? Core power. Which plane of motion bisects the body into upper and lower halves allowing for rotational movements? Transverse. Remember, sagittal is bisecting the body into right and left halves, allowing for flexion and extension. Frontal is also referred to as coronal, which bisects the body into anterior and posterior halves, allowing for AB and adduction. Transverse exercises would be a chest fly. Sagittal exercises would be running, jumping, squatting, lunging. Frontal would be doing a lat pull down a pull-up, or jumping jacks. All of the following are true regarding reactive training, except, remember, reactive training just means plyometrics. The answer is it increases maximal strength because it does do that. The three phases of plyometric training in order are eccentric, amortization, and concentric. What is defined as the science concerned with internal and external forces acting on the human body and the effects produced by these forces? 
biomechanics. Functional anatomy is knowing how the muscles contract, where they originate, and where they insert. And biochemistry is what a registered dietitian will learn when they're getting their bachelor's of science, and then they will go into a dietetic internship to get their master's for a year. We have a registered dietitian who helps teach our nutritional coaching program, where we will help you develop your 30% of stream revenue because we focus on a 60-30-10 split so you will become successful. Do not waste money on certifications that do not allow you to talk to people or help you learn how to optimize your book of business. Show up fitness. A single leg touchdown is what type of exercise? Balance strength. Which of the following is an accurate description of frontside mechanics? Proper alignment of the lead leg and pelvis during sprinting, which includes ankle dorsiflexion, knee flexion, hip flexion, and a neutral pelvis. Just for your own knowledge, ankle dorsiflexion, the agonist would be your anterior tibialis. For knee flexion, the agonist would be your hamstrings, which are the semimembranosus and semitendinosus the lateral biceps femoris, the hip flexor, the main one would be your psoas together with the iliacus forms the iliopsoas and a neutral pelvis. An anatomical location referring to a position above a reference point is known as superior, lateral is away, distal is the furthest point from origin, proximal is the closest point of origin, Contralateral is opposite. So think of a bird dog where your right arm is in front of your body and your left leg is behind your body. Whereas ipsilateral is like a jumping jack. Your right arm and your right leg are both abducting. The anatomical position is standing up with your hands supinated. And if you look up any muscular skeleton photo, the image will represent the anatomical location with a supinated position, which is your hands open. Remember, when you close your hands and your knuckles are up, that's pronated. Core stabilization exercises should adhere to which of the following tempos? 4-2-1-1. is used during muscular development or hypertrophy, which is phase three. All of the following are benefits of a cooldown except... Encouraging venous pooling of blood in the lower extremities. A cool down should be 5 to 10 minutes, as should the warm up. Make sure to foam roll. If you don't, you will die. Physical activity guidelines recommend adults should accumulate 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity every week or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity aerobic exercise. So think of high intense would be 75%, low intense would be 150. It's also referred to as LISS training, L-I-S-S, whereas HIT training is more advanced. Which of the following compounds are considered the chief source of energy for all bodily functions and muscular exertion? Carbohydrates. Consumption of which of the following are associated with lower incidence of heart disease, lower incidence of cancer, maintaining good intestinal motility, and helps regulate the body's absorption of glucose. Fiber. 
Men should be getting close to 40 grams. Women should be getting close to 30 grams. When performing the squat jump with stabilization, how long should a client hold the landing position? Three to five seconds, and don't you dare jump like Tinkerbell. Maximal force should be applied to a jump, and that's loading the hands behind your body and then jumping up in the air as high as you can. Pretend like if you could touch the ceiling, you will win a million dollars. After 10 jumps, you need to rest two to three minutes for optimal recovery so you can recruit the type 2 muscle fibers. Doing 30 seconds of jumping shows how uneducated someone is when it comes to bioenergetics and being a fitness expert. Don't be an influencer. Be a qualified personal trainer. Which of the following is an example of peripheral heart action? A push-up into a squat, which is an upper body exercise followed into a lower body exercise, and this will greatly help lower high blood pressure. The agonist for a push-up is your chest. The antagonist is your posterior deltoid. The agonist for a squat is your gluteus maximus at the hip. The antagonist is your psoas major. The agonist for a pull-up is your latissimus dorsi. The antagonist is your deltoids. The agonist for a cable row is your latissimus dorsi. The antagonist is your pectoralis major. Blank are the most fundamental components of designing a training program that determine the amount of stress placed on the body and what adaptations that the body will incur. These are the acute variables. The acute variables for stabilization are 12 to 20 repetitions, 0 to 90 seconds rest, 50 to 70% intensity. After a month of strengthening ligaments and tendons and optimizing proper posture, according to NASM, you can move into the second block, which is strength, which has phase two, supersets. All you need to know, the superset is a bench press into a push-up. Stable into unstable. And then after a month, you can move into phase three, muscular development. Zero to 60 seconds rest. Six to 12 reps. 75 to 85% of your 1RM with a 2-0-2-0 tempo. After a month, you can move into phase four, maximal strength. One to five reps. 85 to 100% of your 1RM with a tempo of XXXX. Four, two, one, one is stabilization. Two, zero, two, zero, muscular development. Anything else is going to be strength or power. After a month, you can move into phase five, which also has supersets. Power and explosive and heavy. That's the superset for phase five. One to five reps for strength. 1 to 10 reps for power at 30 to 45% of your 1RM or 10% of your body weight. For phases 4 and 5, the rest period should be longer because you're recruiting your type 2 muscle fibers, which are fast twitch, anywhere from 2 to 5 minutes of rest. After a month, you can then go wherever you'd like. You cannot go from phase 1 to phase 5, but you can go from phase 1 to phase 3 or one to four, or one to two, and then you can go back down to phase one. This is called periodization, where you're changing up the variables over a time period. 
And the time period for a month is called your mesocycle. For a week, it's your microcycle. And for the plan, it's your macrocycle, typically designed off of Olympiad periods, which is every four years. A rest interval of 20 to 30 seconds replenishes what percent of ATP CP storages? 50%. Close to three minutes will get you 90 to 100% of restoration from muscle glycogen and ATP PC. The blank states that the body will particularly adapt to the demands placed on it. This is referred to as the principle of specificity. The principle of overload comes from Milo of Croton. He was an old school wrestler. I think it was the second or fourth century. And he would pick up a cow and walked up a hill to get water for the town. As the cow gained weight, he added muscle. That's what we should be doing in the gym. Not balancing on BOSU balls and stability balls, doing battle ropes and annihilating clients and getting a bad rep. Your clients want results. Focus on getting stronger. If you sprained an ankle or have an injury, unstable surface training does have merit. Otherwise, it's used for the circus. Don't be a circus trainer. Actin and myosin are the primary components of myofilaments that make which of the following? The myofibril. The basic unit for muscle is called the sarcomere. The basic unit for bone is the osteon. The basic unit for the nervous system is the neuron. Mabel is 75 years old. She exhibits upper cross syndrome. Oh no! Her arms fall forward during the overhead squat. What muscle is likely overactive? The pectoralis major. The answer, gastrocnemius, is also there, but remember, that is a lower body muscle. The pectoralis major is an upper body muscle associated that with upper cross syndrome. If this was asking for lower cross syndrome, then the gastrocnemius or the adductors would work for the answer. Do not tell Mabel she has upper cross syndrome. Shake her hand, smile, take her through a great safe, effective workout, follow up with her, and help Mabel with whatever her goals are. Don't associate people who are greater than 60 as old. Mabel could maybe bench press more than you. Assess her, use the PARQ, physical activity readiness questionnaire, and then implement a strategy for her goals. Get her to smile, ask her great questions, learn about her medical history. Show her something that is efficient, but also safe. What is the purpose of phase one of the OPT model? To improve muscular imbalances. What is an example of a total body exercise most appropriate for the starting phase of the OPT model? Step up to balance, curl, press. Which of the following is a strategy within the fitness professional scope of practice that focuses on the ability to recognize and regulate one's behavior? Intervention. Which of the following is a collaborative person-centered form of guiding to elicit and strengthen motivation for change? Motivational interviewing. Which of the following muscles work as a force couple to upwardly rotate the scapula during the military press? The upper trapezius, serratus anterior, and lower trap. One of my favorite things to make fun of NASM about is when they go over scapular anatomy. They say there's only four actions. 
elevation, depression, protraction, and retraction. Yet they talk about upward rotation in the force couple. There's also downward rotation. There's also an anterior tilt and a posterior tilt. In fact, there's 17 actions of the shoulder. Eight of the scapula, nine of the humerus. All things that we test you on to be a qualified, certified personal trainer with Show Up Fitness. If you want to become elite, don't follow blindly. Learn to think for yourself. Our exam, we ask you questions and you need to be able to answer them just like a conversation we're having right now. Not answering a bunch of multiple choice questions. That leads to imposter phenomena. Resistance training workouts that involve performing all sets of an exercise or body part before moving on to the next exercise or body part is known as horizontal loading. Vertical loading is a very large circuit. Superset two exercises back to back of the same muscle. Circuit set typically is going to incorporate some type of cardio. Another word for horizontal loading is a straight set. The negative is referred to as the eccentric. In the context of muscle actions, raising a dumbbell up against the direction of resistance is referred to as concentric. This is when we typically want to breathe out. Eccentric is the easier portion. Think of eccentric and easier. When I do a push-up, it's easier to come down to the ground than push away from the ground. Coming down is eccentric, pushing away is concentric. According to the Tanaka formula, heart rate max equation to find the target heart rate is 208. While observing a pulling assessment, a personal trainer notices a client's shoulders elevating. Which of the following exercises is appropriate to strengthen the client's underactive muscles? That would be a ball cobra. A ball cobra is used during stabilization and it's great for the mid-back. A standing shoulder shrug would be a strength exercise and it would be recruiting the same muscles that are overactive in this example. Shoulder press would also be recruiting those overactive muscles. A ball bridge would be recruiting the glutes and great for lower cross syndrome or any type of knee valgus, but not for an upper body impairment. Which of the following is characterized by flat feet, also referred to as ankle eversion, abduction of the knees, and internal rotation of the hips? Correct answer is pes planus or dynamic knee valgus. You do not automatically die if you have this, and please do not tell your clients to have it. This is a condition that can be Improved with proper neuromuscular control and movement competency, all things that great trainers can help your clients with. Lower cross syndrome is pointing your belt buckle down towards the ground, and upper cross syndrome is internal rotations of the glenohumeral joint or slouched shoulders. A turnkey product is one that is ready for immediate use. For example, Show Up Fitness, we have three locations, Santa Monica, San Diego, La Jolla, as well as Los Angeles, West Hollywood. If you were to open up a Show Up Fitness, we have all the same equipment, very functional, squat racks, dumbbells, but most importantly, qualified, certified personal trainers. I don't care how much experience or how many certifications you have, the only way you can train at a Show Up Fitness is if you've completed our two-month program and have your Show Up Fitness CPT and going through our mentorship program to showcase you're a qualified personal trainer. 
What is the immediate progression of an alternating arm ball dumbbell chest press? The correct answer would be a single arm ball dumbbell chest press, which would be used in phase one of the OPT model. A barbell or dumbbell bench press would be used in phase two, three, or four. Remember, phase two has supersets, so a barbell bench press into a push-up. It can also be used in phase five if there's an explosive component, so a barbell bench press into a plyometric push-up, or a ball throw into the ground into a barbell bench press. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we have live calls that are recorded and put into our app to help you pass NASM, ACE, any textbook certification within 30 days. A student asked me about chapter 18, which is specific to plyometric and reactive concepts. And they said, someone on Facebook had an hour call breaking down reactive concepts. And I said, why the hell would you go to that? That information, one, is inaccurate. And two, it's too much information because you're not going to be tested on more than two or three questions overall, such as the ending leg position, which is triple extension. Front side mechanics is triple flexion with the agonist at the hip being the psoas major, the agonist at the knee being the hamstring group, and then the agonist for dorsiflexion would be your anterior tibialis. We reviewed the common definitions such as speed, which is maximal linear velocity. Agility is the ability to accelerate and decelerate, where quickness is how quickly you can move through all planes of motion. The three portions of the movement during plyometrics, you have the negative, which is eccentric, and then amortization is a rapid transition into the concentric. That's all you need to know for plyometrics when it comes to NASM. They're going to want you to get their PES, which is studying a textbook by yourself and taking the test at home by yourself. Or you can call up a bunch of buddies, get some six-packs, and have them help you pass it. This does not make you into a qualified strength coach. If you want to learn more about strength and conditioning, you need to learn from the association that represents that, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, where they have the CSCS, and that is the gold standard in the fitness industry. You will not get a job working with professional or collegiate athletes unless you have your CSCS, or you know someone at the top of the chain. We have a course for two months that will help you pass the CSCS if you want to get that. But more importantly, you get to work with qualified strength coaches, learning all about the power and Olympic lifts, exercises that are appropriate within the program, and how to design a very detailed in-season, post-season, out-of-season program for an athlete. Otherwise, you're wasting your money learning from people who shouldn't be teaching this stuff. I know it may seem like I'm on my high horse talking about these other associations, but at the end of the day, it's the lack of accountability and responsibleness from these associations that are allowing trainers and strength coaches to get certified without ever being tested in person or having critical feedback with their programming. That's what we're changing at Show Up Fitness, and that's why we have the top trainers at Equinox's starting up their own gyms and really beginning to change the landscape within the fitness community. Also nutrition. Our goal is to be respected as a profession. And right now, there's too many clients that are unfortunately getting hurt. They're getting rhabdomyolysis, injuries that could be avoided if the coach and trainer was educated. That's what we're doing at Show Up Fitness. 
We are qualified personal trainers. Once we change the fitness industry, which we will, my dream job will be a gym cop. I will walk around in gyms writing out tickets for doing stupid ass exercises. Oh, you're doing ladder drills today. You're jumping like Tinkerbell. Here's a $50 ticket. You have 30 days to pay it. Rant over. On to number 87. Which of the following is a kinetic chain checkpoint? Remember, we have five of them. Most distal and inferior, we have the ankle, we have the knee, the LPHC, lumbo-pelvic hip complex, the neck, and the shoulder. The correct answer would be knee. The waist, the wrist, and the neck are not checkpoints according to NASM. Which of the following indicates goal commitment? A client shares his goals with and reports his progress to others. Which of the following is a progression of a multiplanar jump with stabilization in the frontal plane? A transverse plane jump with 90 degrees of rotation before landing. Which of the following is considered objective information? Remember with objective information, this is part of the PARQ, you the trainer obtain the information such as blood pressure, waist measurements, or body composition. And that's the answer to this one. Body composition, the main testing would be your Durham Wormsley with the four sites, vertical being the biceps and triceps, diagonal being the subscapularis, which is your shoulder blade, and your superiliac, which is above the two prominent bony protrusions on the anterior surface of your pelvis, anterior and superior to those landmarks. Those landmarks are called the anterior superior iliac spine, and that's right where you would take that body fat measurement. Ancillary revenue can be gained through merchandise sales. Individuals who have shown a certain level of interest in personal training services are targets. Which of the following is a common mistake made while performing prisoner squats? Allowing the feet to turn inward, which is referred to as ankle eversion. When you sprain your ankle, that is ankle inversion. A client complains of pain in his shoulders while performing the triceps dips exercise. Which of the following should a fitness professional suggest to the client to reduce the discomfort? Decrease the range of motion. In my professional opinion, bench dips are one of the worst exercises that we could be doing. And that's because the glenohumeral joint has roughly 70 degrees of extension. That's bringing your elbow behind your body. Above that, you're going to be compromising the subacromial space and the capsule of the shoulder. I've seen trainers at large box gyms having their clients go well above 90 degrees, ultimately reporting shoulder pain later on. A much superior exercise would be doing push-ups, focusing on the eccentric portion. In the context of behavior modification approaches, which of the following is a written statement that outlines the responsibilities of participants their expected behaviors, and contingencies for change in their behavior. That is a contract. The drawing-in maneuver is a maneuver used to recruit local core stabilizers by drawing the blank toward the spine. Navel. You can do this while you're sitting on your desk right now or in your car. Pull in your belly button away from your shirt. That's called drawing in. Bracing is what a student of mine once said. That's your pooping muscles. So when you brace, it's like you're trying to take a number two or Casper's in the room and you don't know when, but he is going to punch you in the stomach. So you want to brace to protect that impact. Which of the following is an effect of an ankle sprain? 
a decrease in neural control to the gluteus medius and maximus muscle fibers. This is the only time when unstable surface training is appropriate. We've trained a lot of athletes at Santa Monica at one of our gyms, and it's common to have the athletes experience a sprained ankle. Very quickly, we will have them do exercises, one set, maybe 10-15 seconds worth of time, on a BOSU ball or an Eric's pad. This will help reestablish that neural control and expedite the healing process. Which of the following is the main difference between problem-focused coping and emotional-focused coping? Unlike emotion-focused coping, problem-focused coping is used when the problem is responsive to change. Which of the following glands is called the master gland of the endocrine system because it controls the functions of the other endocrine glands? That is your pituitary gland. The endocrine system is referencing hormones and how they're released from the host gland, one of the 14 systems of the human body, and we go over these in detail, part of the show up in a CPT. We are almost there. Five questions left. Facilities that are high-end and focus on niche market segments are blank facilities. Those are boutique gyms, like the ones we have at Show Up Fitness. All of our gyms charge between $125 to $250 plus per hour. We strategically place our gyms around equinoxes. There's 109 equinoxes to date in 2023, with the goal of expanding to over 200. Each one of their gyms, they've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into market research to essentially pre-approve the market and all the members that go to that gym are making well over $250,000. Our small boutique gyms allow for three to five trainers to build a book of business training between 20 to 25 hours per week, making well over $120,000. For our gyms, that is our mission. We want trainers to be able to train, which is considered full-time, 20 to 25 hours per week and create a stream of income that is 60% and then focus on online, which will be another 30% and then have another stream through referrals, through guides that you're selling, nutritional consultations for another 10%. This will allow for a sustainable career and if your clients leave town, you will not be affected. The problem today with too many trainers in the corporate industry, they burn the candle at both ends, they get there at 5 a.m., they leave at 10 p.m., and it's not sustainable. At Show Up Fitness, we're creating careers, not just textbook trainers who quit within the first year. If you've never been to one of our gyms and want to stop by, shoot us an email, info at Show Up Fitness. We'd love to meet with you, shake hands, smile, drink some whiskey, and have great conversations around how we can better the fitness industry. In which of the following situations should a certified personal trainer refer a client to a medical professional? When the trainer becomes aware of an undiagnosed hypertension. Blank trait does not change over time. Stable. When a client performs a shark skilled performance test for lower body agility, which of the following would result in a penalization of 0.1 seconds? your hands falling off the waist. The other ones would be not returning to the center square, jumping into the wrong square, or having the non-hopping leg touch the ground. The upper body agility test is referred to as the Davies with your hands 36 inches apart, tapping your shoulders with the opposite hand for 15 seconds. The total amount of work performed within a specific period of time is known as 
training volume. When it comes to optimizing hypertrophy, we need to take a look at the three most important factors, which are referred to as VFI, volume, frequency, and intensity. The last question for the show fitness study guide, during phase three of the OPT model, a client is suggested to perform horizontal loading with blank rest periods, zero to 60 seconds. If you would like to learn more about hypertrophy, the mechanisms of hypertrophy are STD, that's the acronym that I came up with, metabolic stress, mechanical tension, and overall damage. Dr. Brad Schoenfeld is one of the leaders in the world within hypertrophy, and he's debunked the 0 to 60 second rest period. It's optimal to rest between 2 to 3 minutes. These are the things that we're going to help you best understand within Show Up Fitness, where to find the most up-to-date scientific information. And that is why we have one of the best boards of education in the world who we consult with to make sure our information is up-to-date. We have doctorates of physical therapy from USC. We have world-renowned strength coaches, professors, doctors, registered dietitians, psychologists, people who we regularly consult with to make sure the information that we are giving you, that it's up-to-date. It's 2023. There's so much information out there. Who to believe? This person has a blue check mark. This person has 100,000 followers. This guy or this girl has jacked abs or a big butt. Does that mean they're qualified? No. What we teach you at Show Up Fitness is how to become a qualified fitness professional. You will 100% pass this textbook. If you can't get a refund, that's all right. You're not a bad person for getting swindled and wasting thousands of dollars. It's called the sunk cost fallacy, where you're going to do it anyways because you wasted that money. You did not do your research. I'm sorry, that's a really hard pill to swallow, but you do not know who these textbook certifications are. Who owns them? What is their intent? Can you ask live questions? Do you know that the information is up to date as of 2023? We've debunked a lot of this stuff. You can look in the back. They don't even have coracobrachialis as one of the 17 muscles of the shoulder. They only have four scapular actions. They scare people into thinking that they're dysfunctional and try to fix them with foam rolling and stretching, which is outdated. The syndromes have been debunked numerous times. Dr. Jonda was an amazing physical therapist, but the information is not accurate. So we shouldn't be telling our clients they have upper cross, lower cross, or any type of syndrome. Think about it. How do you think that individual is going to register someone saying you have a syndrome? We need to stop scaring people and promote positivity within our profession. You can tell in my voice this fires me up because there's not a trainer, coach, or company out there that is challenging the dogma within the fitness industry and these textbook certifications. If you want to turn your passion for fitness into a career and help people, you should be able to do that. I have so many emails where people reach out to me, Chris, I'm certified. I have no idea what the hell to do. How do I program? I have imposter syndrome. It's like I wasted all this money and I'm back at step one, but I'm even more confused. How do I assess someone? How do I sell personal training? How do I start my company? Should I open up a gym? Should I hire an online coach? These are all things that Show Up Fitness provides for you. Once you pass this exam, get into our Show Up Fitness CPT. The first 30 days, I guarantee you, you will learn more than any textbook certification money back. Once you complete that, we will get you hired at any gym. We'll help you with your resume, interviews, 
We'll do mock assessments to help you build your confidence. We have weekend seminars where you can learn hands-on, but our online portal has the classes that are live and then recorded, put it onto our app. So there's no excuse where you cannot constantly be learning with the most up-to-date scientific information. If you want to learn more about nutrition, our Show Up Fitness Nutritional Coach program is the best that's out there. You get to work with an RD, that's a registered dietitian. If you want to learn more about strength and conditioning, we can get anyone to pass the CSCS. That's easy. More importantly, we'll help you become a qualified strength coach. If you need mentorship, I can help you. There's business coaches out there that will charge over $12,000 for two months of mentoring. I will elevate your business 100% guaranteed, and you'll get a chuckle out of it. If you want to learn from physical therapists, we provide that as well. Am I annoying? Absolutely. I know that. I rub people the wrong way. My personality may not mesh with you, and that's why we have other instructors. If you want to learn more about programming, sit in in the class with Katie. She's a state record holder from Tennessee. She'll teach you everything to know about programming for the general population. If you want to learn how to regress and progress and also come up with creative exercises, Josh is your man and he's from Atlanta, Georgia. If you want to learn more about anatomy, Professor Travis, he'll teach you everything from lower body to upper body, even if you want to know where these overactive and underactive muscles are. If I'm too much for you, Megan will help you pass. We have this in Spanish with Jorge. We have an Equinox instructor who's T-Rex, which is the highest that you can go at Equinox, teach classes every Tuesday on how to thrive in the environment at an Equinox. We provide any and every opportunity for you to be successful, whereas unfortunately, too many textbook trainers get lost in the crowd of certifications and they can't continue to pursue their passion for fitness and their career. I want to help you. That's my goal. I know I can help you. The only request that I have, if you read my book and you enjoyed it, please leave a review on Amazon. We want to get in front of more people who can use this information to help people safely. And that's our mission. Show Up Fitness is going to change the fitness landscape, one qualified certified trainer at a time. And if you want that to be you, you got to show up. Belt Buckle Trainer, checking out. Have a great day, y'all. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back to the Show Up Fitness Podcast. Today is episode number 14, and it's a special one only for those that need to pass an awesome though. Otherwise, do not listen to this. This will be three hours of bullshit helping those that cannot get a refund pass NASM because this is our study guide audiobook version. We are packaging everything that we have at Show Up Fitness, our quizzes, audiobook, study guide, we have live calls that are recorded to help people pass NASM in seven days. Yes, you heard me, seven days. We've helped people do it in two days. 
focus on what we tell you so then you can get into learning how to actually become a qualified, certified personal trainer. We just hit a humongous milestone of Show Up Fitness, our 100th certified personal trainer internationally in North Africa, Morocco. And this is a really big deal because we are now that much closer to getting our accreditation. You need to apply. You need to go through the process. And one of the steps is to have 100 CPTs. And we now have that. 